Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I don't like blood and guts, but I love them when they're lengthily discussed. That's just us. You, I pressed early because we do vocal warm-ups before every episode. Oh, you were rolling. Yeah. Oh, we, sorry. I, thought we I didn't tell you. Our... God, I didn't tell you. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm glad people got a little peek behind the curtain. Yeah. If we uh, turn on a little bit earlier, you might have heard some dogs and coyotes howling in the background for reals. Oh. They're dogs. They're not coyotes. Though we have coyotes around here. It I is. mean, it was so perfectly uh, apra Oh, like the, 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 it's a misty morning. Oh, it's, it's a cold. Misty fall morning. I broke out the sweatshirt for the first time. I've been <sighs> wearing tees for the last like eight months. I'm in a sweatshirt myself. You're in a sweatshirt yourself. Nothing else. With the colors we love. Yeah. The, the red, orange, and yellow, which we'll later see as a color scheme on the Federal Express sign and the hand that rocks the oh, cradle. Don't right. want to bury the lead, but that's <laughs> the that, lead. <laughs> that is that color scheme uh, 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 in, in, in the movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then as if they knew we were going to begin a spooky, scary uh, podcast, the dogs start going, it's, don't forget about werewolves yeah. next season. <laughs> <laughs> it is cloudy out. Mm-hmm. It's not cold, but it's not hot. It's yep. starting to dip in temperature. It's starting to feel like fall. It's, it's getting darker sooner yeah. at night. It's it's uh, the 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 witching hour is many hours. Yeah. I feel and yeah. it goes over the whole season and it's begun. And you know how we've often talked about how you and I are the types that enjoy the day before a day off more than the day off. Yes, this is how I am right now, knowing that autumn's kicking in, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and mm. Christmas and New Year's are coming. I'm in my prime, not the prime of my life, the prime of my year. <laughs> I know, I know. October, uh, uh, for for me, even though you know it's it's filled with 
harvest moons and 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 uh, you know uh, dead corn stalks. Uh-huh. It's actually full of life and celebration yeah. for me. It's well, it's both for each of us. Uh, our daughter's birthdays are that's right in October. Uh, I have uh, I'm celebrating my uh, seventh wedding anniversary. <gasps> Congratulations! Yeah. Oh my god, my parents. Um, my our anniversary is the seventeenth. Me and my wife's. My parents is the fourteenth. They're celebrating their fiftieth wedding anniversary. Whoa! And they're in town. While they're in town, they'll be out here while they uh, celebrate. Wow. So they're gonna hit like some of the Sunset Strip clubs. <laughs> they're gonna. They've already made a reservation at the Saddle Ranch <laughs> <laughs> to do the, the mechanical bull ride. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, they're gonna <laughs> see who can uh, beat each other longest on on it and. Uh, because uh, that's how we met <laughs> 50 years ago. At the Urban, Cow- Urban Cowboy was made about your parents. Well, as I might have mentioned before, my dad owned uh, recently, until a couple years ago, the Rust's Western love Shed. And so he sold cowboy boots and hats and bell buckles along with being a, a shoe repairman. Um, uh, and he got two sort of you know, business was always steady, yeah. but there was two points where wind was fully in the sails for Western apparel in America. And it was Garth Brooks, 1992-93, brush popper time. Everybody's going out and buying their line dancing clothes. Mm -hmm. But the one previous to that was Urban Cowboy in 1980. Smoking the Bandit kind of started that in Urban Cowboy. And then Kenny, uh, like Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, that's sort of like... Yeah. Uh, Kenny Rogers. Yeah. Whatever that Western, yeah, country, country Western. Yeah. But the weird kind of pop crossover too mm-hmm. that it was doing, like along with like Dolly Parton. Like I think that all kind of fused together for a nice little early 80s. Oh, uh, like Buck and Boogie Nights. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, my, like I said, the other part of the business was being a shoe repairman. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll get to the title of this podcast at some point. We'll, tell you, we'll but, get there. This is... Uh, we'll so yesterday there. we were in town. Uh, we dropped my uh, my parents and I went and dropped my daughter off at dance class. And then we're just like walking around. And we see the name of a, 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 of a shoe repair place. And that's always like a... A fun thing uh-huh. um, to see a different shoe repair place, and because they're in every city, man. Yeah, so you can always take a little picture and be like, "Hey, look I at know. this, Dad." Less and less these days, though. That's a sad. Well, thing. yes, I mean, as we found out, because whenever we walk by one of these places, my dad goes, "I'm gonna go in there, just talk to them, let them know." You know, I was in this line of work, <sighs> and uh, we're like, "Okay," me and my were like, "All right," and he's like. <laughs> I hope they're a lot more polite than those ones in Culver City a couple of years ago because oh. he tried it last time in Culver City. And the guy, he was like, I think he thought I was from the IRS. He was like blocking me so I couldn't come in to the work area. I was like, well, what were you trying to do getting to the work area? No free trade secrets, man. <laughs> exactly. So he got there. We walk in and it was uh, three men, one guy who was older than my dad and then two who were like younger in their 50s. Uh who couldn't have loved my dad more oh. and they like shared stories uh they i took a picture of the three of them and it is so funny the light in all of their eyes <laughs> where they, was this uh in uh atwater uh, oh oh i think i know the place 
Oh, look at this. Which one's your dad? My dad's on the right. Oh, my God. The guy who looks like me with white hair. Oh, look at this. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, So, um, so it was, uh, I love it. It was really great. Just getting to hang out for like, uh, and they're like smoking cigarettes in there. It's just like, (laughs) it's, it's, uh, uh, I mean, they stepped out to have a cigarette and they'd come back in, but it was like, uh. 25 half hour a time of uh getting to chat it up with my parents and these guys oh that's yeah. it's just the it's the most wonderful time of the year and oh both- but they said 28 shops have closed 28 shoe repair shops have closed in los angeles over the last three years and so they're like we're still in business because we're the best wow. uh, and we're still on top because uh yeah but it just because shoes form. are disposable you don't yep. keep them this was, yeah, my, what my dad was saying all the time growing up was more and more, it's like, yeah, you throw away shoes, you don't repair them. I have a pair of shoes that I love that I can't find anymore, and they're coming apart, so I need to take them in and support the what industry. What are they? What's the... Scotch and soda. Mm. They're kind of just, um, I don't know, suede sneakers. And they're like uh, off. Um, they're not making them anymore, mm. huh? Not as far as I can tell. That's tough. Powder blue. When you find... Uh, Especially when you find a familiar comfort and then you can't get any more of it. It's I know. A rude situation, but not the case with our podcast, which right. has a title. It's with Gorley and Rust. <laughs> I'm the titular Gorley. And I'm the titular Rust. This is a podcast where we talk as you evidenced, as evidenced by this intro at length, easy listening about horror movies, thrillers, and such. Um, We've, Where we talk about the climate and kind yeah. thoughts about parents. Yes. Also, just to to drive home the point, we both decorated our houses for Halloween, too. I saw pictures of yours. It looks fantastic. I saw yours jaw-dropping. No, uh, it's not that. The big skeleton horse. Well, yeah. That's awesome. The no vacancy sign. I mean, uh, astonishing. Uh, and we're doing tiny. this in the first week of October, yeah. Matt. We take this shit. Seriously. Oh, we would have done it earlier had we not had our daughter's birthday party the weekend before. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember a last year around this time, she came on October 1st and we were like, we better decorate before that because we know we're not going to after. Right. Did you, were you able to? Yeah. Um, Amanda sat on the rocking chair on the porch and I, awesome. I just put everything So out. that means when Glenn came home, yeah. she came back to- A skeleton sitting in the rocking chair. <laughs> One of the first people she met was a dead skeleton. Well, uh, the uh, uh, a fun joke to do when you're pulling up to a house with Halloween decorations is going, wait a minute, this isn't our house. What happened to our, this is a haunted house. We don't live in a haunt. Oh my God. I thought those were real spider webs. I thought that was a real skeleton on a broomstick. Um. Where do you come down on cotton spiderwebs and tinsel on Christmas trees? And this is not without judgment. I'm, I'm, mm. I don't like hate anybody that chooses mm. one, even though I have a preference. But it's more for different reasons. And we'll get to our podcast in a second. Yeah, because uh, hey, if the hand that rocks the cradle had taken place during Halloween, you know they would have had a lot of thoughtful consideration about the aesthetics right of you know she doesn't want uh uh peyton would hate it if a halloween decoration got out a a little displaced and 
Yeah. And she has to put in there. And by the way, I'll thank you not to talk about the movie we're discussing on this podcast while we're still talking about the intro. I'm so sorry. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But like her, we need to talk about spider webs. Yeah. Fake spider webs. Okay. When we're doing it, Mm -hmm. there becomes. We were watching videos of my wife and I on YouTube to know how to do the spider webs because oh, when it can unfurl yeah. like a blanket of web mm-hmm. across something, that's A+. plus. That's what you got to do, right? What's a B minus C plus, it's very difficult to know how to unfurl without versus stretching it so it breaks apart. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes... and it's. Like I said, it's a B minus. It's not terrible, but then it kind of becomes more Spider Man-y spider webs, like yeah. the long stretch strands, which aren't my favorite. So I love fake spider webs, but there is a an unmalleability to them. There's or, an art to them. There's an art to yeah. them that I haven't perfected. So that's uh, yeah. my dislike for them right now. Um, and then what was the and as far as tinsel, tinsel goes. I don't like tinsel. We didn't grow up with tinsel. Mm-hmm. But like any kind of Christmas stuff, which is like cold weather or um, it's it, it it's kind of like in a small dose for those few days, I could love tinsel. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the, if I lived with tinsel and Christmas time <laughs> is over and it's January 6th, uh-huh. <laughs> you have to like, Pick the tinsel out of the carpet and put or it where their dogs poop. Oh or my god! Tinsel poop. wrapped up in no, wrapped up like they eat it and then it comes out. I've seen that before. Yeah, it's gross. I'm with you. I, yeah, I, your thoughts on spider webs well, and tinsel? Just yeah, it's hard to make the store bought cotton cobwebs look like anything other than just a mess. Mm-hmm. But I think if you can do them right. You could make a case. And I think they're overused. You use them sparingly. Mm-hmm. Tinsel's tough. I'm not by default a tinsel guy. Amanda's really been wanting to do tinsel, and I'm I'm starting to feel like I need to – it's not just my house. I can't make the call on our Christmas tree. And there is a kind of mid-century th- thing that I like about it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't grow up with tinsel either, except then when my parents divorced and we got a Christmas tree with my dad's, we put tinsel up. Mm. So, so as you can like see, I'm, I'm just really conflicted, Paul. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not even necessarily like positive connotations with tinsel. Kind of. It's nostalgic, but it's got a little bit of that melancholy and bittersweetness. Mm-hmm. So I think tinsel has to... Oh, if, you, if somebody looks at tinsel and doesn't feel a pang of melancholy, I don't think you're human. Yeah. It's just you're right. wrapped up in tinsel is the right. feeling of kind of like sad Christmas. Yeah. D- divorce uh, tree. <laughs> I mean, when you're talking about the mid-century of it all, we growing up had some, we got them from our grandparents after they passed away, some of their Christmas ornaments that were like 60s where you would put a light near it and the heat would kind of make it oh, spin yeah. inside it, but they would kind of just be these like... I don't know, very 60s-ish designs. Yeah. Uh, and that I could see mixed with tinsel could just seem like a, yeah, a piece. and a color wheel. The other thing I love about Christmas trees on a domestic level, uh, this goes with tinsel. And why I would like tinsel is like, I like it also when 
Christmas trees are like the refrigerator, which is just like a mishmash of fucking yeah, shit yeah. that the family has collected over the years. That's the I whole point. Too, yeah. You just then look at an ornament. You're like, what was this? Oh, we got it. Yeah. Oh, that thing sucks. I know, but we put it I up. Agree. And- I agree. I actually think there's a happy medium of you have a uniformity with the lights and the garlands, mm. but the ornaments should be a scrapbook of your life, a timeline, a chronology of all the people in the family yep. and relatives and moments and collections and a travelogue you yes. know and i love that yeah yeah my i guess that's what my family ended up uh kneeling down when i was growing up was consistent lighting and garland yeah but a collection of of ornaments yeah because sometimes when you walk into a house and it's like all red bulbs and yeah. a white tree it's yeah. like, mm, no what, who are you peyton <laughs> As portrayed by Rebecca de Mornay, <laughs> not de Eva Day. Oh, ah. let's get into it. This is the episode on Hand That Rocks the Cradle. You can go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust and get commentaries, get mailbag episodes, oh get these episodes a week early and with no ads. So right now you're right. hearing us talk a week in the past. That's right. If you're not a Patreon subscriber. Yeah. So, um... I'm going to say something that surely has probably happened in this time um, that um, will have been outdated. Am I saying this right? Um, how about, ooh, didn't the moon look beautiful last oh, night? yeah. Yes. I see what you're getting at. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Phases the, of the moon. Yeah. If you want, mm-hmm. talk about the most recent phase of the moon. Well, here's something. If you're a Patreon subscriber, guess what? Coming probably, uh, wait, coming, hold on. A week from today when this is out Mm -hmm. will be our mini episode on Halloween ends. Mm -hmm. If you're a free feed listener, it is out the day this is happening. And if you subscribe to Patreon, you'll get it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Matt. Because we take a week off in the middle of this. This is the yeah. fourth episode of Yuppie Nightmares. We take a week off in the middle. And then we That's resume with Raising Cain. Yes, yeah. in two weeks. Yes. But a week from today, you'll get our little mini episode review of before and after us seeing Halloween, which as time of recording is in two, two days. days. You and we are going to go yeah. see it in two days at 1030 at night. I, I'm... Remember how Amanda said she was up for this? Yeah. I'm starting to doubt her resolve. I, I wonder if <laughs> we're going to have I to- get f- it. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I don't get it as in I'm experiencing that and it's going to be hard for me to go. I just, yeah. mean, I could understand for a sure. person how that would be tough. Um, but uh, yeah, it's the same theater that I told you I saw Smile in. Right. Um, so, um, and uh, we'll see if- um, the seat is still wet with my uh, sweat. Oh my God, wet with from sweat. the sheer terror that oh, I felt. Oh God! Uh, now, did you feel sheer terror? Um, I shouldn't be doing an East Coast accent. I should be doing a Seattle sort of accent oh, for yeah, it. Did you if... feel sheer terror? Terror in uh, uh, while watching the hand. Well, there that was rocks a one or good two good thrills. I would mm. have to say. Um, yeah, I, I have a, a few moments, like two or three moments that are in competition for best thrill. Yeah, I, I think I've got mine. Um, you got yours. I think, yeah, when I was uh, 
doing it, it was like, ooh, was that better than the other one? But um, yeah, uh, uh, well, I guess we'll get to it when we go to them, right? We don't want to uh, tip our hand with yeah, the Yeah, should we just do general thoughts? Where general you were, thoughts. have you seen this? General thoughts and major coverage. Uh, <laughs> when Do you have any memories of having watched this, having seen it? What's your experience? I thought I did, and I think I've seen it, but I have no memory of the movie other mm. than her breastfeeding the child because that, I think, was like a sort of – meme before memes and like had pervaded the culture of people were talking about it things like that yeah yeah that's what i remembered from the movie too i don't think i ever sat down and watched it from beginning to end i think it must have been like on cable catching Mm. moments and watching extended like uh, sequences of scenes but um there was so much that i was like oh i don't think i've ever seen this yeah um but with the breastfeeding thing yeah definitely and it's funny that it's like uh it's um imprinted on us as a culture in the same way breastfeeding you know because what in the same way that breastfeeding like imprints somebody oh yeah like when i see that happen i'm like oh the baby's like getting like reprogrammed in a way by her like milk but the fact that anybody who sees this movie walks away from it being like that was really messed up how she breastfed the baby like it did cross some sort of line oh, of for like sure uh, yeah i'm changed by this now i'm yeah. altered uh, yeah i mean there was a lot i don't think i realized how much how dark this movie actually gets in terms of miscarriage in terms of the the safety of the children and the yeah cross wiring of breastfeeding and stuff like that. Yeah. The thing that was the biggest surprise watching this that I was not uh, strapped in for, but I loved the experience because it totally upends how we've been watching these, which is uh, the protagonist main character makes a choice that's slightly unethical and then gets punished for it. Annabelle Eschiora's character does the right thing. Oh, both the husband and her. They're doing everything. And and till the end, they are a really great married couple. And that was the other surprising thing too. I was like, wow, they did all these things without ever really tearing the family up. It was, it was well done that it didn't take this well-trod thing of like, I know. Uh, But yeah, when I was, um, when, when the Rebecca de Mornay is f- fucking with her life, it was really a, a, a different kind of suspense and a different kind of thriller that I really, um, it affected me. I mean, I enjoyed me the movie uh, a lot. And when I, there was some point in the middle and I know a movie is working when I have this moment where I go, it's Okay. It's going to end where she gets hers and everything's going to be okay. I know. And I'm like, if a movie's getting me like, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Then like, I'm totally in their hand. I Uh, couldn't agree more. In fact, when she starts accusing Solomon of abusing the daughter, that's when it really got dark. And also I thought we're, we're in for kind of a cliche thriller in the beginning in terms of Solomon's character. I thought, oh, he's sympathetic. So he's going to get killed or something kind of like in the bad seed. Oh, I had the memory of him getting killed because yeah, of the bad too. seed. Yeah, me too. And so then there's a point too where that hit where I was like, I 
not only does she have to get her comeuppance, but Solomon has to be vindicated or this movie cannot work. Yes. And luckily, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. I mean, it is very like, um, we talked about like a, 1992, like Alien 3, Reservoir Dogs. They're like really kind of cool movies because they're taking formulas and like using them against you. And it's the first Mm. time movies were really actively doing that, I think, after like a stretch of the 80s where it's like, no, we want formula. Like a postmodern thriller kind of. Yeah, you're just kind of like, we know you think it's going to go this way. I mean, it was still tricking me. I for sure thought some adultery was going to happen between the nanny and the movie's so smart not to be like, yeah, we know like that's where you think this is going to go. And having it be more about thinking he's reconnecting with a first love and Julianne Moore is so much more nuanced, you know, or of a complicated thing than, uh, or a dimensional thing than just, she comes in and like, touches his dick and now he loves her, you know, or he's like, <laughs> or the wife walks in and they're caught in the act. And now there's this yeah. whole, uh, um, no, everything really holds together except for one major linchpin. And that is the wind chimes discovery. We'll oh, get to that. But boy, that wind chimes, blew wind my chimes. mind. We're not just because she sees it and then has to get a magnifying glass to look at it, but because they set it up, they, this movie is really like, and it's it is the bread and butter of a thriller like this of giving you. <laughs> Glamour shots of plot devices. So the baby monitor, the wind yes. chimes, the uh, 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 the breast pump, the breast pump. Yeah, these, all these objects yeah. that later become tools of incrimination and yes. terror. <laughs> yes, but when Julianne Moore first comes over and goes, "What is that annoying noise?" and Annabelle is here, goes, "Well, that's the wind chimes." Like she's never heard a wind chime before, and that's enough for that to stick in her mind, so that when she sees the photo, she's like. Oh, that's one of those things. Those horrible noise that makers. Is so- Wait a minute. I've seen one of those before. <laughs> one wind chime. Every house has a wind chime almost. <gasps> Who is not overtly familiar with the sound of wind Who among chimes? us does not chime? I ask you. I mean, they really uh, uh, painted Julian Moore's character as this like um, surface level uh uh yuppie real estate agent yeah she has no love for wind chimes but then who's the real <laughs> villain here right um the one who gives the wind chimes but yeah even if you don't own wind chimes you've walked down a sidewalk where you heard ding 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 you're like, oh that house everybody has everybody knows wind yeah. chimes for whom does the chime ping is there a way that they could have had her acknowledge the wind chimes so that when she saw in the picture, you're like, okay, the wind yes, chimes. Just, wow, that's a beautiful wind chime. Yes. Oh, Rebecca DeBorne got these for us. Oh. Yeah. Um, they had to make their relationship so adversarial, though. She couldn't like the wind chimes. That would have been like. But shouldn't they have also, shouldn't she have got her some wind chimes that were distinct, <laughs> like stained glass or something? Because that wind chime looks like. Every standard wind chime I've ever seen. Oh, no, yeah. It should have been like she always uses the same wind chimes and it's very distinctive because it looks like knives. Yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Is uh, it not the same wind chime from her house? That she moves from I place so. to place. Oh, and so she's like, I know those wind chimes. This reminds me of another, because I really like this movie. And yeah. It reminds me of something else I love, which is the True Detective season one, but there's another linchpin moment in there where they figure out 
they break the case open off something kind of similar. I don't want to spoil it. People haven't seen it in a while, but I know, it, it has to do with paint. <laughs> a, color, yes. a color of paint. Yes. And it just is a little bit like. That is where like, yeah, movies like are on just like uh, the precipice of falling yeah. one way or the other is the clue that breaks the case. Cause it, it could either, I mean, it's funny in two David Fincher movies, library, uh, uh, um, uh, not rentals, library, um, books. What? No. Uh, what's it called when you check out? Yeah. Somebody's library record. Oh yeah. So in the se- in seven, Oh, right. It's like, Hey, we can go to his apartment because this guy's been checking out all these books about, you know, seven. <laughs> and then in Zodiac, they finally are like, we think it's Arthur Lee Allen because he's checked out these crypto books uh-huh. in the library. So for David Fitcher, who seems like a guy who's pretty finicky, it seems like the library record is, but I don't buy in those. Well, that's I, a think, l- I think Kevin Spacey one. wouldn't keep a library if he's cutting off his fingertips, but that's for yeah. another episode. No, man. I hear you. Yeah, we do got to cover that movie. But the wind chimes, it's in the same category. Because it has it to is. be the, the broadest jump for a linchpin I I think I can think uh, and of. And I don't know if you noticed the second time when... Uh, why do I keep calling... What's Annabella Skier's character name? When she sees the wind chimes after Julian Moore, yeah, the score uh, has wind chimes. When <laughs> oh, she I sees didn't it, notice goes, that. I, I did like, not yes, notice we that. We know they're wind chimes. <laughs> we know what they sound what like. What is that noise? Uh, I did write that on my notes. I was like, this must have pissed off big wind chime. Oh, yeah. They're like, why are you guys making a... No, big wind chime, they, they, they understand how life works and they're like... No bad press, no bad publicity. We'll take it. Yeah, because if anything, then it generated a conversation people, where people are like, no, I love wind chimes. I'm going to go out and buy five of them yeah, tomorrow. People are talking about wind chimes. It's a good time to be in the game. <laughs> oh, I remember early 92, hearing so many people, I'd be like walking to the street, I'd hear conversations. Call me a Peyton, but I'm getting wind chimes. Yeah, it's like putting a Trump flag in your yard now. I mean, back then, if you had chimes up, it was a bold move. <laughs> and wow. a lot of political correspondents were reporting back to DC. We're seeing a lot of wind chimes on people's yeah. porches. We and actually think chime lobby was huge back then too. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, uh, what were the other? Um, uh, it is funny that that's a little piece of um, uh, domesticity, though. Yeah, that that becomes the. What could have been um chimes is fine. They just needed to make it a yeah. one of a kind wind chime mm-hmm. that's noticeable. That actually would have been fine if it was some kind of like because they had that modernist or at You're least right. deco house. <gasps> if they had a really nice art deco yeah. wind chime. The hospital had those art deco cubes. So be- it is becoming Friend, a listen, this movie hit every trope we've <gasps> talked about, including Yay! The bonus trope, because it's not quite a trope, it's just a visual thing. Those glass bricks are in the creepy doctor's office. Mm -hmm. And so each time now, they're being coded as creeps have these. Yes. Wow. They're cold. Uh Uh-huh. But so we've got- Not really transparent. No. No. Uh, Obscuring. so. Obscura. Yeah. 
most obscure doctor uh, yeah. uh, Star Trek. <laughs> Silica Obscura. Um, Who's that actor? Like, I know, I don't even watch Star Trek, but I'm like, I feel like I see him in Star Trek stuff. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. He's so recognizable. He's played every doctor. You look at his filmography, every other character. Because when he came in, he was like, okay. I was like, oh, this guy is a doctor. Yeah. Like, his reel just must be so impressive. Just like scene after scene of him looking at x rays (laughs) and being like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) so it's got, um, first of all, a mixer of some kind. Or the <gasps> yes, surprise we'll party. List up the tropes. Yes, yes, okay. yes. A mixer. That that one, you know, doesn't quite get off the ground, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, the scrapbook where she goes, even though it's microfilm and and yes. newspapers and stuff, she's doing research. There's newspaper articles. And what is the real estate photo of the wind chimes? But a scrapbook right. of real estate. Exactly. And then the nopey where he. The husband calls the cops and you hear him say like, well, most we can do is, you know, you're going to, is it an emergency? And they won't listen to her. Yeah. All of it's there. It's it, crazy. It's a, uh, uh, you're right. That and, guy, cop must have just, he should have just said it. Nopey. Yeah. Nopey. And I've got a new one to add to the list. Yes, please. Music. So this has, um, what's this one? Uh, oh, all the Gilbert and Sullivan yes, stuff they're singing. Yes, you're right. Then but- you've got Berlois and you've got. Uh, Madame Butterfly and Madame Butterfly, yeah. And then was there anything from Pacific, Pacific Heights? Heights? Oh yeah, he played like metal. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know it's not classical like the others. Yeah, but, but still. Um, but I think there might have been a scene. Was the metal taking over classical? It's a, like, or was it earlier classical was played? So now to have metal, I forget, played. yeah. But what is the opposite of classical but metal? That's true. So. Is it, yeah, no, that's great, man. Uh, Over to you, Raising Kane. Are you going to keep this streak going? <laughs> I think it might. Uh-huh. Well, I did think of Raising Kane when um, you were talking about in Pacific Heights, how you're like this sort of de- sub de Palma going around them talking in the lo- in the oh, vestibule, yeah. just circling yeah. around them, and, and you were like, the scene isn't suspenseful or anything. It's just they're saying exposition and they're trying to make it interesting by spinning around them. It's not like trying to get you into an emotional space. Yeah. Um, the vestibule lobby of it all, when you mentioned De Palma with that, Raising Cane has a dynamite walking oh. downstairs through a lobby, one or shot. That will have people's jaws on the floor. Really? I'm not overhyping it. Oh my it god! It is an amazing wonder. Oh, I can't. Wait. I'm just saying it because um, when people watch it for next week, those are the sorts of things. Maybe before you watch it, it's just kind of like, oh, this is the wonder thing. This is like okay, yeah. And then you can start clocking how effing long it is. Okay, I'm glad yeah. you. Okay, okay, me okay. Off. That's in two weeks from now. Two to two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, trope tropes galore. That's good. And then I, I say the more the merrier. <gasps> oh, I have one. Yeah, that's not necessarily maybe consistent in all four, but definitely picks up where sleeping with the enemy left off. Um, now this wasn't the end result of the movie, but I think it was used as a way in effect for this facial hair suggests. Mm. Um, indeterminate, uh, not ethics, but, uh, like, um, is is this a good person or a bad person? I I think you, I agree. I even wrote down rare beard time, just like mustaches were rare, but 
beards, like I think maybe you're it's right. just rare facial no, hair. I think maybe it has nothing right, to though. do with. Well, I think mustaches, especially at this time, are inherently diabolical signals. Where yep. a beard is more of a, a obfuscation or a, a mystery of a mask. Yes. What what is this guy? Yeah. Yes, yes. But it's I its also own think, glass cube, glass art deco square. Yeah, and you occasionally would see this actor without a beard, but he often did have a beard, and I think that became his thing of like i'll be the guy when people need a guy with a beard because remember acting kind of used to be like that like there was a guy with a beard a guy with a mustache guy who looks russian yes a bald guy a long-haired guy (laughs) yes and who's the guy that was in children of the corn that was on 30 something and peter horton peter horton he had a beard yes he was a beard man yeah yeah definitely an actor would become a beard actor like that goes hand in glove with uh, this this actor. Yeah. Like um, the guy who was um, he was the doctor in the Dream Team, but then he was the head writer on the Jackie Thomas Show, which everybody watched. So that's a great <laughs> thing to reference right now. He's also in this TV show, Stat. It went along in the late eighties, early nineties. If you kind of had longer, like Spielberg had that awesome look at that time, which oh, was yeah. long hair and beard. Yeah, that kind of like yeah. Uh, that was sort of more Julia Roberts's paramour and sleeping right. with the enemy kind of had that yeah. big curled beard. This guy is more clean, like not clean shaven, obviously, but trimmed beard. And that actor, Matt McCoy, um, is, um, I think he's really great. I yeah. like whenever he's on screen, I, in anything, I'm like, Oh, I like this guy. But, um, his body of work is interesting. Cause I think, I know he replaced, uh, an actor playing a character on Seinfeld. Oh. The original one is the guy who starts falling in love with Elaine, and then um, she goes over to his house, and she's eating the yogurt that's secretly making her heavy, and she sits in his chair, and it breaks. You don't see it, but she just tells that, and then he loses interest in her. They bring that guy character back, but he's played by this actor now, oh, why Matt McCoy. He also, though, in Police Academy, is sort of this Gutenberg that's replacement it. as well. That's after where Gutenberg I know him leaves. From. Yes. And then, even with The Hand the Rocks the Cradle, Brantley Palmer's notes, always helpful, telling us sort of the struggles to cast this role. And all love to Matt McCoy, but he, like, yeah. Christopher McDonald, like, is passing on. Like, these are someone else very notable. Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. Do you think he passed on that to do consenting <laughs> adults? He's like, I could only, uh, you know, I'd rather play a creep than a than a good husband. I'm curious what his version of this would have been because he is inherently a little bit more sinister. So would you be thinking? Maybe that's why they added the beard to Matt McCoy because yeah. beardless, he does look a little too friendly. Too gentle. Too gentle. Yeah. And that ends up being what's really winning about the character in the movie is is the way they withstand this. So I guess it would have been different if again, it was like Dennis Quaid or whatever. Yeah. Uh, He's too big of a star for a part. Like, but like you just kind of go, Oh, that guy's complicated. Maybe he could be potentially cheap. Um, Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, it also seemed like they didn't do the thing of having them 
hook up or cheat because then you're sort of automatically in fatal attraction territory now. I know. And that was so nice to see though, that, that you kind of alluded to this earlier in the podcast, that the reason this one affects you so much is because you're really pulling for this family, but also it kind of feels like your family where you don't want your life disrupted. And this truly is a case of no one invited trouble into their lives where Michael Mm -hmm. Douglas, he transgressed and this is how this happened it was kind of like Mm -hmm. cause and effect pacific heights had um oh uh uh uh, your um you had a tenant uh who you didn't take yeah because you took michael keaton because he was laying down more money in flash and they weren't as likable anyway and now julia roberts is the same as maybe this movie but just looking at a family unit at home being beset by what is essentially an emotional slasher coming yes. in. Yeah. It really gets at you. Cause you just, I, all I could think about is like, what if this happened to us? Oh. And someone came in and turned us against and how easy it was to do. There are so many ancient lines, ancient family lines that she crosses in this yeah. movie that feels so severe. Yeah. When she, is getting the kid to keep a secret from the mom. Mm. I was like, that is a big line. Yeah. Like, and once somebody poisons those waters, that is truly, uh, that's just like uh, one of the worst things you could do between a parent and a child. Um, But then just the horror of having to see this woman, your two children, go to her to be consoled as opposed to you because you can't bring protection that your children want from you. That's like Uh, such a crazy... uh, Amanda, halfway this movie goes, we can never get a nanny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so with the nanny part, this was the other surprise. The surprise of me being like, I didn't know uh, that this was happening to them because they did the right thing and are right. now getting punished for it's it. It's a revenge tale. I didn't know that. Yeah. Either. I didn't know it was a revenge tale. And then I didn't know in the same way, you know, or like we could never get a nanny. I thought this movie and I was watching it with Leslie and I watched it together. We were like, Oh, we had misremembered it or I had mis uh, known it as nanny comes in wants what the family has. And now is trying to get it. Yeah, me too. Like you said, I didn't know it was a revenge story. Yeah. And so, look, I, I think at no point is the movie ever saying, um, you should choose Rebecca de Mornay's side over uh, Annabella Sciorra's side. Right. But they do put a lot in to make the revenge seem sweet for Peyton. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, you know, whatever they say about a villain, like if you can at least understand where they're coming from, even if it's like cracked, you sort of, it's just, then this villain is way more interesting yeah. than somebody who's just a di- one dimensional. Yeah. Uh, so like, I do know that when I saw her like losing her child because she fainted from this news. I feel for Rebecca De Mornay in that situation. Um, I'm not saying it, it just makes it way more of a dimensional experience than if a nanny just came in and yeah. was sort of like, cuckoo. Now I've gone cuckoo. And yeah. I want what these people, I've 
secretly want to be a yuppie and I'm destroying right. as opposed to like this person is hurt and angry and, and yeah, exacting you revenge. Even then, if that was the case, you would have gotten some expository monologue at the end of like, I had everything and I lost it and it would have been yeah. too little too late. They spent some time with this setup story. I mean, you got at least a half hour before she's even showing up at the door. Right. Yeah. Um, there Something happens at the half hour mark where it was like, a clear, she is now unraveling the face. Oh, when she found the earring. Yeah. Supposedly in the kid's, the baby's mouth. Right. That that was at the half hour mark where it was like. Oh, is that? The, no, it took, you're yeah. right. I'm saying it took a yeah. long time of establishing their story. And they did the thing that um, <laughs> I think is just lost now in these movies. Any sense of prolonged coziness at the beginning because they make a pact with the audience now. Because, like, remember Fatal Attraction? It was like, even the seduction between Michael Douglas and Glenn Close is cozy, yeah. is glamorous. You're sort of, like, falling for it. With this, um, there are such kind of, like, not ugly in a... The filmmaker is ugly in making an ugly movie. It's just, like, really kind of unsettling stuff getting thrown at you in that first half hour so that when the nanny shows up, it's a different movie than the first 20 minutes. They're yeah. all so happy. And then the nanny shows up and changes it. Well, it's like sleeping with the enemy where you get, there is a shorthand. You get an establishing right. shot of coziness and that's it. Yeah. You, you get would, the house. Yeah. And, and that, and that <laughs> house is very cozy. And then the more the movie goes on, you start to realize how sparsely decorated it is. And it's not very cozy. Yeah. It becomes an indictment in some ways of yuppie yeah. dumb where like, yeah, when you see that all white children's bedroom with the white wicker rocking chair, it's supposed to be kind of like, is this Did you what we were really after, people? Heavy color symbolism in this movie. No, tell me. What, well, uh, you're saying white, but everything else in that room was yellow. All the toys, all the bedding, all the clothing, they're wearing frequently yellow. She drives a yellow Volvo. This is not something I'm uh, reading into it. No, yeah. And Rebecca de Mornay is always in kind of grays and blues and cold colors. But she's blonde, which is... Yellow yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't quite know what it means, but the yellow thing is there to the extent you once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's awesome. All the clothes in their closet are yellow. That's then awesome. she paints the child's nursery blue to kind of like say her dominance. I've done this. I know it was the way she did her prior child's right. nursery. But then the moment she cracks, she's wearing red. But otherwise, she hasn't worn anything like that. But right. all the family is all in this yellow and mustard. And I don't know if that's like the warm earth mother mm. colors, like the natural world. You're right. It, yeah. The yellow's everywhere. It's And the girl, the daughter at one point is wearing just a solid yellow t-shirt with nothing on it. Wow. It's funny because um, yellow isn't the favorite thing to my eye. Yellow and orange. I like when it's the color scheme there with reds and browns and oh, stuff yeah. like you have yeah. with your shirt. Yeah. I love that. But a yellow kind of on its own is a little too. So uh, what do you think the effect of that is? Like watching it, is it like a know. yellow unnerving? Is it sort of like well, I think it's meant flash to points be, of danger? Or is no, it, I think it's meant to be positive in mm -hmm. some way that it's it's warmth and like I said, oh, maybe I see. earth tones. Like they're representing the family unit. I, I couldn't tell you I would be 
making something up if I knew exactly what it meant. I just noticed it for sure. There's, yeah, I don't, I'm not someone that likes to read into that because you can find that kind of stuff in oh, any no. movie if you look for it. But well, I, I can't believe we haven't said his name yet. Uh, cause oh, yeah. I totally trust that that is a choice that some that Curtis Hansen makes. And yeah. Curtis Hansen is the effing man, yeah. Matt. He's so cool. Um, let me read off his uh so he is the um the director of um of the hand that rocks the cradle but uh so with his um movies uh he started off with sweet kill the little dragons losing it the bedroom window which i've seen that's like a um fun little uh rear window mm. um uh, riff, bad influence, which was almost one of my uh, uh, yuppie picks, because oh. that fits in uh, between. That's like 1989, and that's the yuppie nightmare version of James Spader is seduced by Rob Lowe and his anti-authoritarian ways. It's basically um, what's it called? A bad influence. That's right. Yeah, I, I'm, I had that yeah. on my short list too. Yeah, I couldn't remember the title for some reason. And then this stretch is pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, Ninety-two to two thousand two. Hand that rocks the cradle, the river wild, and as Brantley's notes said, like those two hits brought him to an A list. Where then he got to do L.A. Confidential, <laughs> then Wonder Boys, and Eight Mile. And then his last two movies, In Her Shoes and Lucky You. But he also, um, he's just a cool dude who came from like New World Pictures, like Roger Corman's movies. So yeah. the thing, if anybody ever wanted to check out how he is the man, he co-wrote The Silent Partner, which is this Elliot Gould, Christopher Plummer uh, uh Christmas heist movie. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, a strange movie. Yeah. But it's like a really great one of those Neo Hitchcock kind of movies like this. But with the seventies bleakness. Yes. It's a, it's an odd movie. I yeah. remember going like seeing that and going, this, this is right up my alley. And then kind of feeling a little weird because <laughs> Elliot Gould is your hero, but he's, he's not. Yeah. He's kind of a, not a puke, but like a, yeah. Um, he's just kind of a shady. <laughs> yeah, he's just moral shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, and Christopher Plummer is like really evil in it, yes. which you're not used yeah. to either. So that's interesting. But I didn't realize he co-wrote that. Yeah, um, and then co-wrote White Dog and worked with uh, Sam Fuller. Yeah, they, um, yeah. And uh, but uh, what I think's uh, really great about him when I was watching the Hand that Rocks the Cradle, the thing that just made this, um a good thing versus a shit thing is his craftsmanship. Like yeah. every, you can just tell this, the guy who loves Hitchcock and knows that you make choices that after a while have a sum total and yeah. start taking an effect. And it just goes to show that anytime a really good filmmaker works within a genre, it's probably the best yeah. collision. I love it. Cause I've kind of stopped liking movies that are <laughs> high art or like, Really legit dramas. They just yeah. they're harder for me to watch now because I I don't want to kind of go into that pathos and catharsis as much. I want yeah. something a little easier to digest. I don't know what that says about me, but no, you know like what? This I was thinking about this on the drive over, man. I was thinking about how something happened post Tarantino 
where to be indie or cool didn't mean you had to deny visceral thrills. Yeah. Like it's okay to deliver on those. And, right. and, uh, I started thinking of like, Oh, I think that is my, what you were saying, the genre thing, uh, high art. I feel the same way for me. It's the, um, divining rod or, uh, divining, rod, uh, what am I trying to say? What's divining rod or dividing rod? D- dividing line. And I might not even be using any of the terms. Right. But like when, Somebody is putting in the category, uh, their their main interest is, I want to get a feeling out of you. That's the thing I want. And so yeah. if that is genre, but it could also be something else. Yeah. And when somebody's just like uh, trying to get you to scratch your chin or something, that now I'm past all that. I, I don't want to anymore. And I, yeah. I don't want to say I'm above it. I just, it, it. It feels like a slog to me, I think, because... But that switch for me, flipping over there over the last few years, has helped me now really like David Lynch. Because I'm like, uh, oh, it's about the feeling. It's just yeah. about the mood the mo- movie's giving me. That's yeah. all I have to worry about. So in yeah. some ways, it does... Per- like the thing that could be chin scratching, you're forgiven to just be like, oh, how am I feeling about it? Yeah. You know? it's, it's So you got Curtis Hansen making a yuppie nightmare. Or say like, Sam Mendes making a Bond movie, you know, mm-hmm. I love that kind of idea, but think about if you could get, what's like a top tier film, like Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. makes a police Academy movie or, or, um, Oh my God. Let's say <laughs> Jordan Peele makes, um, well, it's funny you say police Academy because, um, years ago, Key and Peele were, working on a police academy movie oh really yeah Uh, it never came to be obviously but um yeah uh well like when spike jones made inside man that was really fun oh spike lee spike lee sorry yeah Yeah. no yeah uh well and i was just thinking of um spike jones uh this would have been good too yeah hey i want to see any of that um yeah uh uh um I was just trying to think of the low, like police academy. Oh, oh, maybe like a porkies. Yeah. Like if um, Michael Haneke did a porkies. <laughs> just trying to think of the or Lars von Trier. It's impossible because right, like Spielberg could could I don't think could make a, Sp- a police academy movie because once he made it his, it would cease to be. Police recognizable academy. as a police academy movie. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're right. If uh, somebody fancies up a cheeseburger so much, is it even a cheeseburger good, or is it some gourmet question. thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. question. It's an <laughs> uh, open face. Yeah, because police academy should have just like cruddy uh, lockdown shots yeah. of people standing and giving, yeah. saying funny stuff. Um, podium blowjobs. I mean, Spielberg did do a. <laughs> that movie should just be called Podium Blowjobs. Uh, I um, a couple of weeks ago had 1941 just playing on the TV on yeah. a Saturday, just in the background. Sometimes it's nice just to walk by and watch a little bit of 1941. And it was the last 20 minutes, which is really fun. A Ferris wheel comes off its, you know, goes down a dock into the yeah. water and stuff, and. Um, Big truck goes through a paint factory and splashes <laughs> up all these different color paints. Uh, so in some ways, I'm kind of like, 
if you did a police academy, it'd probably be like 1941. Yeah. But I brought my daughter in. Uh, she just turned five, but she was four. Just at this so you point. could sit her down and go, now that's filmmaking. <laughs> I was like, I thought she would really like it. Uh-huh. And she did. She was like captivated by 1941. Seeing a Ferris wheel go down oh, a dock yeah. into the water is always going to be cool. But she asked the question that any sentient human being who watched <laughs> who watches 1941 would ask, which is she went, why are they yelling so much? <laughs> <laughs> Paul yeah. Kale's review of 1941 was like it's. It felt like for two hours my head was inside a pinball machine. Oh no! But that's Hearst also in a way saying, "Why are they yelling yeah, so much?" That's yeah, the critic versus the child <laughs> saying the same thing. Uh, well, speaking of that, those parameters. How did this fall in a good day, bad day, good movie? Okay, this was a um, good movie. I believe it was okay day. It ended mm-hmm. well, but we had we're still having just uh, overload of work right now. We're so busy, and then Glenn fell and bonked her head. She's mm. just she's just a little evil Knievel. She's just a little wrong way Feldman, just running into things. And that's good. It's making her tough. Uh, it certainly it has to is. happen. So she yeah gets that tough skin. One other thing I wanted to say was that in speaking of like almost auteur level directors working in within genre you and i have both kind of bemoaned the marvel movies saying like this is a 70s paranoia thriller with captain america 2 civil war whatever it is but tony gilroy is doing the new star wars show andor and to me i don't want to be hyperbolic because it's subtle but it does feel like kind of a slow burn 70s oh cool it's working up to a man on a mission thing I'm enjoying right on. This, the kind of like deliberately ponderous pace of it. Uh-huh. Um, it's the best Star Wars thing I've seen in a while. It's not like that's great. It, it hasn't even done anything to the point where you could say it's blown me away yet because it's that's not its aim. Maybe it'll get there. I don't know. But this it, is a time though. You're saying that a, like a sort of genre overlay or what's that called? Rap. Yeah. What's that called when you uh, can pick your skin for a car yeah, or something? Yeah. Like, that it works. Yeah, it just got a feel of a slow burn men on a mission kind of almost force 10 from Navarone. Or, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, but uh, I'm trying to put my finger on it. It just feels it's way more serious than anything else. And it it isn't giving you any like fan service. Hmm. It's a story that has a Star Wars skin on it more than it's a Star Wars oh, thing with cool. a, with a yes. like genre skin on it. Maybe it that's feels- the, that's like well said because maybe that's the difference with when you can sniff out the authentic thing in a Marvel movie or whatever. Like, are they really doing the genre? Like, yeah. at the end of the day, does it feel more right. like this was a conspiracy 70s movie with a Captain America skin over it? Yeah. Or does it just feel like, yeah, that's cool. Um, and you're you're a fan of Gilroy's work, right? This is yeah. probably nice. I mean, I really his- liked Rogue One, and I know he really came in and restructured yeah. that. And you like a, you're a Michael Clayton head, right? Oh, I love Like Michael anybody Clayton. with good taste. I absolutely love that movie. Yeah. And that's the far end of that spectrum of that kind of old classic corporate intrigue stuff. And there, mm-hmm. there's some of that in this and, and political intrigue as oh, well. Oh, really? But, you know, people are often like decrying politics in their Star Wars movies because it's usually delivered in something like The Phantom Menace with trade tariffs and things like that. This mm-hmm. is more... It's more along the kind of intrigue of 
of um, Michael Clayton, though. Nice. Yeah, well, that's I, good. I, I'm hesitant to like fully say I'm recommend it because it's it almost hasn't gone anywhere yet. But yeah. I, it seems like it's going somewhere cool. Um, what if the next episode you watch it's like um, a Jar Jar cartoon? <laughs> <laughs> Like, you got to skip that episode. I don't know what they were doing there. <laughs> just like Jar Jar how, tries to learn how to ride a bike. Like how community would do a like stop motion thing. They just decide to go to an animated Jar Jar moment. These uh, are just stopping through. <laughs> um, your voice there just uh, has got me wondering. Yeah. If she hadn't fallen on that picket fence. And instead was put in cuffs and needed proper representation. Oh. Wouldn't Peyton want this other lawyer representing her in court? Did someone call my my southern did so just did I excuse me? <clears throat> I had a big lunch. I had a gourmet cheeseburger so much so you couldn't even know it was a cheeseburger. Yeah, is it even a cheeseburger anymore? I look up in the clouds on this misty southern morning and I saw the southern lawyer signal flying up in the nimbus cumuli. Oh, let me look at it. Oh, the Confederate symbol. Oh, that's what? I didn't on. choose it. Commissioner Commissioner Robert E. Lee did. All right, okay. Look, I don't like it any more than you do. Hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> please, please, I am not on trial here. You're right, sorry, sorry. My poor little Peyton, I forget your last Danny. name. Peyton Nanny. Peyton Nanny. <laughs> Look at her, all dressed in cool grays and blues. She's so cold, you shiver in the rain. It's almost as if you lack a greenhouse to keep you warm. Who has a greenhouse covered in shards of glass to kill? <gasps> Yes. Oh, I mean the greenhouse. Well, my cl client Peyton Reed put a shovel there so it's Peyton to Reed. Yes. Peyton Place put a shovel there so <laughs> Spike Jones put a shovel there so as to stop that thing from falling. Look at her pretty blue eyes. She does not have yellow eyes like the oh. family Ooh. the color of cowards who won't no, even admit that. Speaking of seeing things in the eyes, yes. Southern lawyer, I yes. feel like I I see love in your eyes for your client. Oh, how could you? Have not? you been swayed? <gasps> Take a look at the jury. Every one of them putting smoke out their ears going, e ooh, because they fall in love with her so deeply. How could you not trust her? Who among us did not want to suckle at the teat of poor Peyton Manor? <laughs> uh, uh, this is when the jury stands up and in unison says, he's got a point. Yeah, line up. All Letter 12 break. jurors and alternates, judge, bailiff, stenographer, counsel, and collected public viewing. <laughs> Pick a tit. I gotta go. Yay! I gotta go. Oh, thank you for uh, bringing him forth, Matt. You, yeah, or, or, uh, Sorry, I'm still out the door. Um, we gotta look into changing that signal. So if we could, I'd prefer just maybe the scales of justice. Oh, yeah, we can do that. Okay. Yeah. We suggested that a few years ago. Oh, really? And I didn't take you up on it? Well, times have changed. <laughs> they certainly have. And you're changing with them, Southern Lawyer. Yep. Bye now. Bye.
uh, sorry, uh, I pimped you into doing that and also painted him as an ugly racist now. <laughs> let's he, let's exclude that from canon. You were you, okay. That's yeah. but that's an alternate timeline. That's the um Rob Zombie timeline of <laughs> Yes. That's the Halloween one and two. Of, the Rob Zombie Southern lawyer that just God, can you imagine? I see them now sometimes referred to online as uh HRZ. Like Halloween Rob Zombie, uh, HRZ1. But I it, to give it almost a name like COVID-19 sounds yeah, right. I know. Stay away from the HRZ1 and oh, the HRZ2. I bet that's what his license plate says. HRZ1, mm, two. Wait, HRZ1, every... mm, two, mm, monsters. Have you gotten uh, our vanity plates for a podcast yet? They haven't come yet. Uh, somebody else must have got their hands in California on WGAR uh, Spiny Face. Yeah. Yeah, they got it. Yeah. Um, now, Matt. Yep. Should we, uh, do you want to take a, a a break for a moment? Yeah. Come back? Yeah. Go to the bathroom? Let's take a, a pee break and we'll come back. All right. All right. We'll be right back. With and right. 
partnership groups that put money into these things. So were these were they these production companies from the beginning, or did they find a movie that they thought ah, we're not too sure about this? Let's dump it into this place for release. No, all developed in house with like Jeffrey Katzenberg and uh, uh. Uh, at, and then they would develop the movies and then release them, and it was just basically like, I mean, old school style. Hey, we got a slate of movies. There's stuff for families, stuff for teenagers, stuff for, you know, people going out and want a scary date movie. What are the stinky, sphinxy ones then? Oh, uh, this one wasn't stinky. I mean, if I remember correctly, I think they might have released, and I'm not even saying this is a bad movie, but The Gun and Betty, The Gun and Betty Lou's Handbag. <laughs> oh, right. Was that? Renee Zellweger. Okay, they got some goodies. Who was in the Gun and Betty? Uh, uh, Penelope Ann Miller. That's right. Yeah. Um. Okay. There's some good ones. Okay. Arachnophobia. Oh yeah. And uh, uh, um, The Sixth Sense and The Rock. Those, Those are bad. all Hollywood yeah. pictures. Yeah. Yeah, that's some good. Um, that's some good. <laughs> some not so good. Taking care of business. Uh, V.I. Warshawski. Oh, man. That's uh, right. I love Encino Man. They did consenting adults, <gasps> my friend. Whoa. Uh, and then, yeah, kind of, you know, movies that are... Uh, uh, you got the Super Mario Brothers movie, Distinguished Gentleman. Mm. What's Distinguished Gentleman again? That's the Eddie Murphy oh, yes. Washington, D.C. movie. Um, and then... Yeah, kind of uh, in the mid-90s, a, a bunch of Polly Shore movies. Encino Man, Son-in-Law, In the oh. Army Now. Oh, yeah. And then... Why do you think they were so in bed with Polly Shore? <laughs> like, it must just, again, like just be like, we need to fill this slot of the adolescent male yeah. movie. This guy's filling that... Um, I see. I don't know, though. I mean, Son-in-Law is great. Right. And I went to, I mean, I was that audience. They were, I saw all those Pauly Shore movies opening weekend. Okay. Yeah. Uh, saw Jury Duty. By the time Biodome rolled around, I was like, this movie sucks. I'm over Pauly Shore. And you didn't see it? Uh, we rented it. My friends mm -hmm. and I, we got like 20 minutes in. And we were like, this sucks. Uh. You don't need two Paulies in the movie. That's what I'm saying. There's two uh, Paulies bouncing around. Yeah. That's always the, the, just have one the jump okay. in the shark. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, yeah, uh, they, and also kind of Oscar Beatty stuff like Mr. Holland's opus. And, mm. um, but uh, yeah, I didn't think this movie stinks. I saw the Sphinx, no. but didn't think this stinks. I know. This... Um, and then I also saw it, it was presented by Interscope Pictures. Oh. Um, so I was disappointed that it wasn't scored by Nine Inch Nails. Oh, why is that? They're they're my Interscope label. What I think of people. On the, oh, I see. Okay, yeah. If this was Interscope oh, music, music I branching off into films. Ah, yeah. Imagine this movie with the Nine Inch Nails score. Yeah, I want to nanny you like an animal. <laughs> Could easily be I want to feed you like an animal, but uh it would work. <laughs> um and that first oh the the credits I kind of noticed were this like italicized. Yeah. Like they like select it all and hit italicized yeah. for the credits. And it, did you notice too? It's interesting that the 
the two women in this movie get top billing above the title. Mm-hmm. Matt McCoy is fourth billing after Ernie Hudson. Yes. So, yeah, I mean. And then uh, there's uh, Anne for the child, introducing yeah. the kid. And then, um, yeah, the, the name. Oh, the other thing that I thought was about the two actors, too, is the um, the hair colors are reversed. Don't you think the typically the yeah. wife would be the blonde, or maybe not? Like in Hitchcock stuff, is the blonde the ice queen who's deadly? Right. Uh, but the, yeah, I didn't know if because uh, Rebecca Dornay apparently went in audition for the mother role, right? Um, but I couldn't see her. I, the other thing that I was going to say with the uh, Rebecca Dornay, who I think is awesome in this part. Yeah, she's really good, and. Um, I guess credit goes to Curtis Hansen. The screenwriters were saying that he was made it really important that this wasn't ever camp. Yeah. That it never they, got too big. Her too, character was very big in the beginning and they didn't want her to seem crazy. Yeah. And so, this, yeah, it doesn't ever kind of become like the bitch from hell characterization yeah. that it could be. No, she plays it pretty subtly and pretty like intensely. Yeah, and you believe her intensity about yeah. stuff. And um, it's this, the interesting story about the screenwriter, too, wrote this for her master's thesis. At, was it USC Film School? Mm -hmm. And that how she was kind of kept on for rewrites and it wasn't taken away from her. Yeah. Even though I believe they, the Brantley's notes say that Curtis Hansen and someone else, maybe the producer were, mm -hmm. did some hand in the writing as well. But and then the producer, the screenwriter, they got married and then that's right. uh, now are a screenwriting team. Uh, uh, or was he an agent? He was an agent, but now I now think he's an okay. agent. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I mean, having a um, credited female uh, sc screenwriter can really shape your point of view about this a lot. It, it, it's a different, it's in the same way that like um, having Amy Heckerling direct fast times yeah. keeps it from ever becoming a total like booberama for the boys. Yeah, This is like, you know, the scene with the OBGYN is really, discomforting yeah. and unsettling. I Especially think it knowing is. what Annabella Shior had been through with Harvey Weinstein as well. That's right. I yeah. didn't think about Was that. Was Rebecca de Mornay also? I think, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, it's a, a um, unsettling scene, but I, for me, it felt like it's being told from the perspective of the patient and the experience women must have going in and having to be vulnerable in a situation like that, as opposed to presenting it as, Hey boys, isn't this icky and weird for you to have to see? like, yeah. it did seem like it was being positioned as like, Oh, I felt, I was identifying with her and it felt intrusive. Yeah. But, same way they gave so much time to, Peyton's trauma in the beginning yeah. made her three-dimensional character, even though she becomes quite obsessive about her intentions, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Um, so, yeah, it, it, having those dimensions and not having it just be she's uh, 
One is just the dumb pushover mom, and one is the ice queen nanny bitch yeah, from right. hell. Uh, that just—I mean—it just makes for a. It's not just um, giving people the due credit of having dimensions, but it's also it really uh, makes a movie way more suspenseful. For like what yeah. you said, where you're like. When you have work like that done, it just makes you much easier to go like, oh, this is my family. This could happen to me. Yeah. Um, the only amount of that that maybe could have used a more dimension was just how they made her super nanny. So the first time she comes in and, you know, they think finds that earring. Yeah. And they're just like, she's amazing. I think he even says that. She's amazing. Yeah. Who else would see an earring in a child's mouth and take it out? <laughs> Un- like how does she is she from another planet most of them would just allow the child to swallow it and then they would tell the parents but wow the- i mean that's like seeing a unicorn or in fact a wind chime a <laughs> mythical <laughs> wind chime the uh uh thing that i was a little yeah kind of like mm, was it did seem like it took a little too long for her to go but be- the, the 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 mom before she started going like wait this all started to happen once the nanny came yeah. like Maybe for the movie to like go as long to have yeah. suspense, they needed to have her in the dark longer. But yeah, same with what you're saying about the like too perfect at the beginning. It was also like that perfection, maybe, yeah, was a little too quick. She maybe would have been like, what's going on? But it is funny though. Like, I love how she's like fucking with her life, like by like putting a stain on a dress so she has to wear an unflattering floral dress. I know. And is that. I mean, she's trying to break the couple up. Is this in her mind just an annoyance or like part of the ingredients of how her husband will leave her because she won't look as good as the dress that he bought her? I thought it was, yeah, bold. I thought it was like she wants to humiliate her and just kind of like make her feel like she's not her best. Yeah. And then also, yeah, is like making the wife look dowdy. For, yeah. for the husband. Yeah. I, I mean, it's all funny though when these two husbands are like slacked on about it. It's like, you're married to Julianne Moore, my man. Like, <laughs> you and you are married to Annabelle Skiora. Like, you guys, like, I know it's not about that. Oh, it, was just, it is funny that like they're supposed to be these like suburban dudes who are like, whoa, yeah. the nanny. I but, <laughs> um, the, oh, the thing I was going to say about Rebecca DeBorne though, um, you know, this is like, I think three months before Basic Instinct came out. Uh-huh. And Rebecca De Mornay had more of a career in the eighties than Sharon Stone did. Yeah. So it's not a complete like one-to-one, but it is like, if you were an attractive actor in the eighties, whose career maybe didn't go to the heights of Deborah Winger or Meg Ryan, in some ways you get then like, on the back half, juicier parts. Like Rebecca De Mornay is like the lead of this movie. She gets to play like every single note. Mm-hmm. And Sharon Stone, that's like a I mean it the thing is is like that the movies are kind of like catching these actors when they need a like the basic instinct part was also like hard to cast because actresses didn't want to play it so they're yeah. like okay we'll do Sharon Stone but then they end up becoming really uh, right. knockout performances and, yeah, makes uh, of them. that year you know yeah um, but I mean I don't know what like my point is other than like uh, 
it seems as if like a, an actor in Hollywood, like your shelf life is either like it girl. And then after that, then you become, you could be a villain. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It's, especially historically. That's what it was. Yeah. Joan Crawford, I guess. Yeah. Like back then. Um, the, uh, so the, yeah, the intro character is, uh, Ernie Hudson's, uh, um, Solomon mm -hmm. character. And when he uh, is coming in, it makes it seem like he's supposed to be the threat. Yeah. Right? Like they're cutting back and forth between the house and him. We were laughing about that with Halloween 5 when we did the commentary about credits during that would be like, well, you think you see something oh, yeah. normal here? Oh, what about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you just think these are normal credits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that's the last one. Uh-oh, another name. Uh, but it did seem to kind of then have like those bookends that it was um, – Solomon is distrustworthy at the beginning and then at the end it's a little corny, but they're like, you can hold the baby now. Yeah. But um I do see Curtis Hansen, it seems like his heart is in the right place and he's trying to like say something good. Um, but like the end kind of being like you should fear other people. Other people are a threat. But be careful which ones you think are the threats. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's not the groundskeeper. It could be your nanny. <laughs> like, which is also sort of, I guess, what Pacific Heights was, too. It was like... <laughs> yeah. I know that Amanda at the end of this movie said they should have let Solomon be the nanny, and they still should. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the... I mean, when he showed up... And that character started talking. I said, uh-oh. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, where is this going? I mean, I do think, um, again, because Curtis Hansen is a good director, he knows each character should have depth and new, you know, so that character does get more and to do as an actor Ernie than Hudson most. does a good job with it. Oh, I my God. Yeah. I mean, that scene when she confronts him face to face, oh, yeah. and you have a full scene where at the end of it, he sheds a tear. On, you get to see an eye well up yeah. with a tear and drop. I mean, that's... Awesome. That's, yeah. As an act, as an audience member, it's yeah. like the, it's really incredible to see something like that on screen. Um, the, oh, the, also the cinematographer is uh, Robert Elswit, and he worked on Bad Influence with Curtis Hansen before this. Oh. But then he became um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's guy. Oh, I didn't realize that. So he did Boogie Nights, oh, Magnolia, wow. There Will Be Blood. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Wow. So I, I, I do think the movie looks beautiful. Yeah. And like you have those amazing shots of the house just alone. On it. it seems like this dominating like force. and uh, White clapboard houses are kind of a trope of these movies too. Yeah. It's been in, well, all four actually. The Country right. Cottage, The Pacific Heights, Victorian, Julia Roberts, Getaway, Iowa House, and then this one. Yeah, and sort of the idea of like clutter versus non-clutter, which for yeah. me, clutter is cozy. Me too. But like Fatal Attraction, that feels like a lived in at the beginning when he's doing work and the kids yeah. watching You Can't Do That on Television. That feels like a cluttered house. <laughs> and it almost seems like in these movies to be Barton or minimal is actually wrong. Like, yeah. that's not how you should necessarily be living your life. Uh, clutter is good. Yeah. 
And well, these weird signifiers too that right. when they um Julianne Moore and her husband come over for the first time, where's where's Julianne Moore? Oh, she's on the phone. That kind of yep. like, oh my God, they have a car phone. They must be rich Shit. and cold. And yeah. what was there was something like that in Pacific Heights too. Or was it Sleeping with the Enemy where they were Oh, they could have something somebody had new. a beeper or something. Uh, what was uh, it? Yeah. What was it a phone? It wasn't a phone. It was something Oh man! Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I was like, "Well, I'm able." Oh, to it was the car fob, the uh, the alarm. Pacific and guys, then, be like, whoa! Your yeah. car goes beep beep. When yeah. it locks. Wow! <laughs> it's like your car talks. It's a droid. An old technology that that was in Pacific Heights was the money wiring detail, oh, yeah. which was also pretty great. But yeah, um, yeah and then it kind of ends. You know, we people should check out our episode on Eyes Wide Shut. But that house, their apartment, is. I think a perfect punctuation mark on the clutter versus non-clutter uh-huh. because they do have a beautiful home, but we talk about in the episode that Stanley Kubrick had people go and take Polaroids of people's homes yeah. in America just to see what their clutter looks like. And when eyes wide shut, there is some amazing clutter work yeah. going on. It looks like a real house with like a mishmash of stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The type of house that gets cleaned once a week by uh, you know a cleaning person and so but it then it slowly decays over the week and then resets week after week yeah. after week yeah and i think you know maybe clutter does kind of fit under cozy or in some ways because i think spielberg's work oeuvre could be looked at the de-escalation of clutter from the beginning of his movies to oh, now it, it yeah. is kind of a streamlining of decluttering that goes on through each movie we'll but, see what the fablemans has to offer yes in terms of clutter yeah um one piece of clutter yes was the hms pinafore poster and yeah. the dad singing it to the daughter yeah. are you i i don't i'm not is it gilbert and sullivan gilbert and yeah uh sullivan yeah and that's Pirates of Penzance and HMS Pinafore. Have you ever done three, one? No, I don't know much about it at all. Um, the Mikado. Uh, what are the others? The, it, it's in Foul Play. Um, okay. And there's a movie called Topsy Turvy about Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but yes. And and their musicals, are they whimsical? Yeah, they're whimsical. They're known to be very difficult, complicated pieces to perform because they're often like fast talking, mm. you know, and mm-hmm. lots of like broad scales of notes and things like okay. that, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, it, I, I'm not a musicals guy, so that's all I can tell you just being a theater teacher. That's well, all I <laughs> With him singing that with the poster on the wall, he seemed like he should be more of a theater director at University of Northern Iowa. Yeah. When I found out he was a biogenetic engineer. Me I too. Like, I thought for sure they were heading towards that and that we were going to have another trope developing here with this, you know, kind of like stuffy academic, yeah. but sensitive. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, not a flag maker. A kite maker. Oh my god, that is that the was... weirdest thing. So, what uh, have our professions been so far? <laughs> Lawyer, kite maker. Lawyer, and then also I like Alex's in Fatal Attraction, which is book editor. Yeah, that's such a cool like. Yes, I work at um blop blop house. Right, as a copy editor. So he's a lawyer. She's a book editor. Does Ann Archer have a? Mm. She's just a housewife. Not yeah. just a housewife, but uh, then it's kite maker and equestrian teacher. <laughs> then it's 
financial advisor, I believe. Yep, financial and advisor. theater teacher. And theater teacher. And librarian. Uh-huh. And now we have um, bio lab guy, gardener, and nanny. Yeah, so I guess if I see a whatever, a theme, or a, it does seem to be like the the poles are high-class service work and elite work or yeah, something. Yeah, elite, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's interesting, you know, because we were talking about in some of these, it's the person wants to be a yuppie in their brain, or they are. Like, this, was, for her, it was like, I had wealth. I lost it. I lost the lifestyle I was. I had grown accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And because a yuppie should never take one other yuppie's lifestyle away from them, <laughs> you're going to pay for that. It's almost like uh, a crime between yuppies was made. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious to see geographically where these will bounce around to. So we start in New York. That pretty much stays New York, mm-hmm. upstate. Then we go to Pacific Heights, San Francisco. Then we go to Cape Cod and Iowa. Yes. Then we're in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle. So we've stayed up on the northern, uh, above the Mason-Dixon line this entire time. And then is Raising King Los Angeles? Raising King is also Northern California. Oh, it is. Okay. Interesting. And then I don't know where Consenting Adults is. I don't know where Sliver is. Fear, uh, I've seen Fear, but I don't remember. I mean, I get, uh, Fear is also like Seattle area. Wow. Interesting. I, don't know I if guess it's... if you're doing yuppies, you have to do these coastal elite towns, you know, these are cities, these coastal cities. You're right. You got to see them like, uh, well, and, and uh, Brantley had that really awesome line. I uh, found that line that Curtis Hansen said about how he liked them near the ocean. It was as if oh yeah, they had no further they could run. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> uh, but it feels like maybe that's also like in these movies. It is kind of this isolation of city and rural. Yeah. And pinging between those two. But yeah, it's interesting that it hasn't been Chicago yet. Like right. landlocked. Well, that's not necessarily landlocked because you got Lake Michigan and stuff. But like. This ain't this stuff ain't happening in Kansas City. People don't believe there are young, upwardly mobile people living in Kansas City at this time. I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or Miami, for that matter, or something. You know, this. Uh, I mean, you could see how this whole thing gave birth to the Lifetime movie of the Lifetime Christmas movie of a girl choosing between got one, two guys: the city slicker and the down home, honest country. Usually, like disguised religious person. As but you know what? To- this is so funny because I thought this movie could have been. I wrote it down. I was like Curtis Hansen being just a craftsman keeps this from ever becoming a bad Lifetime movie. And the moment I clicked into that, and I was like, "Oh, was when I was like, this ain't no hack." Was when Rebecca De Mornay first sees the baby. And they've been holding off and really even giving you a clear shot of the baby yet. You see it through her So eyes. you see it through yeah. her eyes and it does that awesome kind of like creeping up yeah. over the bassinet and then like going down and looking at it. So it is from her point of view, but it's also unnerving. And they've been saving it for this moment. Like uh, uh, that's when I was like, uh, this ain't a bad Lifetime movie. A, a bad Lifetime movie would just 
show her walk into the room and kind of look over creepy or maybe even yeah. have it from the point of view of the baby yeah. or something stupid. Sleeping with the enemy is closer to a lifetime movie yeah. for sure. And is probably in many ways, the proto lifetime thriller, you know? Yes. Yes. You're right. But it is funny that the, what you said with the Christmas movies, their stock and trade is, uh, 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 like you go on Peacock, and I don't know if they're necessarily related to the Hallmark movies or what. Well, every channel has their own brand of them now. Of Christmas, yeah, because yeah. you can read the Christmas titles. Uh, and I was making a, I was cracking up Leslie one night by going, reading all of them, be like Christmas dinner, yeah, Christmas death, yeah. Christmas electricity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen the one? There's one with Chevy Chase. Not Christmas vacation. No, this is a you know, 2010s, mid 2000s era where he just came in and did a day. I think I've seen the poster for it. He's like standing off to the side of a couple that's like embracing. Yeah. He's like the boss of this big corporate environment that takes place in like a three office building, you know, like, but it's supposed to be the big city. And he's just doing his bumbling comedy. It makes no sense. He's so obviously not with the same actors he's in the scene with, you know, but it is fascinating to watch. <laughs> is it your favorite uh, Chevy Chase performance? <laughs> it's what's up there. <laughs> uh, the uh, um, yeah, so the um, they go to you meet in Ernie Hudson, creepy doctor, that actor. Um, oh, it was interesting though. Watching it, I was like surprised by the doctor thing but i was also like this whole run was so unexpected because i was like wait who's the bad guy in this i thought the nanny was yeah. the bad person yeah and then so why like, is this bad person showing how's up? this gonna play into it yeah and uh um and then before they showed her in the frame but yeah. they were just at his house and he was watching the news i literally went oh because i realized like oh this is a re- like you said. Yeah. I was like, this is a revenge thing. Yeah. And then after she passed out, and you realize she was pregnant, another O, o yeah. came out of me. Yeah. I was like, oh no, it's even more like. Uh, but it's so funny because if she was married to this guy and he's crossing lines like that in his work, but then she's open to crossing lines like with the breastfeeding thing. I was like. This is a really screwed up married oh, couple. No doubt. Yeah, you're definitely <laughs> like before this came along, there was weird stuff happening between this married couple. Oh, for sure. For Some sure. twisted weirdos there. For sure. But they were going to have a baby. Isn't well, that weird that if like this oh, hadn't happened, they were going to raise a kid uh, to, to be yeah. a weirdo? Yeah. Um, the uh, probably would have uh, been like in in the Hammer family, Army Hammer's family, like one of those kids. Long legacy of yeah, uh, weirdos, yeah. monsters. Um, so then it goes to six months later, and this is the really kind of the sliver of cozy we get. Yeah, because um, even the Ernie Hudson scenes in the beginning are kind of infused with a little bit of like danger, and so. But now, I guess it's still not. There's suspense because you know she's out there and yes. she's coming along. But I liked uh, the presentation of her uh, that the way she meets her is by helping her. That's yeah. such a, if anybody's making a gaslighting movie, that's the way to do it. I the know. person first comes along being like, Well, thank you for stopping the bus for me, kind hearted soul. I'll trust you from here on out just for that one thing. Any red flag looks completely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did they 
Like agree. They said on the news, right, that even though she was the first to come forward, she wasn't pressing charges, right? And that other people then yeah. came forward and said this doctor had been. That's a, interesting. A I wonder why they needed to make that distinction. I guess just to make her seem. Oh, that know. she they didn't have it. I missed that point that they they stated she didn't specifically press charges. Something like that, or she's yeah not hmm. pressing suit or something. I I can't remember. Yeah. I could see it in a way if uh, he hadn't killed himself, they're trying to get away of like, we don't want this movie to be a courtroom movie. We just kind of wanted this thing. But then the fact that he kills himself, like, yeah, she, well, yeah, yeah, it does. I guess that is a choice of some kind. Mm -hmm. Um, The, uh, but then the, there is a a little bit of um, like the, uh, uh, an added element to her, kookiness is the like she doesn't like getting paint on her shirt yeah and finding the earring on the floor like uh, my mom had this really funny and different moms would have it up as a magnet or like a little frame thing up on the wall when i was growing up which uh maybe you would see it too uh it was like dull women have immaculate houses Meaning, uh, like, no, meaning, if you walk into yeah, a house and it looks yeah. beautiful and clean, that is a dull woman who lives there. <laughs> well, my mom was the least dull person you'll ever meet then. <laughs> she, she, it was okay having some stuff around. Oh, yeah. We had a pretty messy house. Still, still they still do. Um, well, you know, when I hear about how Trump is just like a slob with the top secret documents and just kind of keeps him out like chocolate all over. We might have talked about this on the podcast before when I was growing up or or when I hit my 20s, it was such an eye opening experience that successful people weren't necessarily tidy. Yeah. They did have messy cars and messy lives and messy skills but uh, like i met somebody once who um their dad if he was running late for a plane would just park in the red zone and run into the flight because if he missed the flight and missed the meeting he was going to get to that was going to be more damaging than having to pay the fee for the to get your car out of towing when you come back that's like the movie airplane (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh uh, so um i I guess with dull women have immaculate houses i don't know Uh, i have a friend who he lives the exact opposite lifestyle where he's just kind of floats and lets things happen and he would buy a shitty car never pay a meter always get tickets and as soon as there was just too many tickets on the car he'd just leave it in a ditch and go buy another like 200 300 car but he'd rack up hundreds if not thousands of dollars and in unpaid registration no insurance no he wouldn't pay parking tickets and he would just abandon the car wow and and then that doesn't stick to his name it just kind of sticks because he would never register the car yes right this is exact i'm so the opposite where i'm like so on top of things where my I mean, I've thought about it like if somebody wasn't down for bureaucracy, their life could get fucked if you're just like not paying for the things you're supposed to. Or if people – there are certain people that lack the kind of uh, constitution or ability mentally to handle 
it's a lot of hoops to jump through and it can really, yeah. if someone's already in a like fragile place, having to deal with a bureaucracy can break you, you know, oh, it, it's it, really I mean, it broke me. I remember having, uh, when I first moved out to LA, little money in a, my bank account and then, uh, an accident that wasn't my fault fucking me over mm. and then having to pay that. And then how do I pay this with food? Yeah. And being like, uh, uh, by no means am I saying I was a step away, but I'm just saying like, I remember acknowledging my, um, gratitude that I had other things in my life that could keep me afloat and yeah. thinking psychologically, if this didn't work out, this could break me and, what the fuck would I care bouncing back from it? Like, I'd right. Just be and like, Cause you can feed back and it can be a downward spiral where yeah. if you don't do that one bureaucratic thing that leads to five other civic things you haven't registered for or utilities yes. or something that now it makes it exponentially harder each time. And to get back out of it, it's why there really needs to be some kind of forgiveness for some of these things, you know, that it just make it simpler and easier. And I mean, that Oh, the fact, no. Yeah, yeah. The fact that, um, stuff is convoluted. It's a little bit of the version of, uh, how they make those tests you have to take to become a lawyer or a doctor really, really tough. And it's not necessarily because they want the best person. They just want the person who's going to like fucking know things forward and backward. To do, yeah. Like, uh, but it's like, same thing with this. There's certain tests that come along and it's like, fucking, this isn't the exact same thing, but the idea that like, um, there's not choices to be made that make things good. It's choices to be made to make things not be shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. a bitter pill to swallow sometimes. Oh, yeah. Of like grown up. Like, yeah. I, was like, oh, I thought it was always going to be making choices for things to be good, not just to make sure that I don't get to completely fucked over. Stave like, the wolves off. Yes. Yeah. Like pure survival and preservation as opposed to advancement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot of it is just putting out fires, you know? And I think I'm find myself so on top of that because I have a kind of fear of falling behind mm -hmm. and I don't want to deal with that. I try to get it off my plate as pos quickly as possible, but that's just not everybody's way. And it just, God, it's just crazy. I don't know how we got on this, but well, we were talking about, can you be it? a, I mean, Rebecca De Mornay's uh, character seems to be like, that's how she's like fucking with people. It's like, you forgot to mail the letter you oh, were supposed yeah. to. And uh, when that might've been the most pit of the stomach I know. moment for me was when she said, no, I'll mail it for you. I know. I was like, Oh God. And it's crazy that it's a letter that oh, I'm worried I about getting mailed. The, 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 the underwear in the Solomon's drawer. Yes. And then when she tore up that letter on the stall, oh, yeah. that I was like, oh, that's when I had the moment of, don't worry, she'll get hers. Everything's going to be okay, Paul. They wouldn't just let her get away with this. <laughs> and she's breaking that bathroom stall. Yeah, that was like a de-escalation for me when she started flipping out the stall. I was like, you already did the worst damage. After uh, over the <laughs> She stayed up all night typing this. Don't you understand? Um the uh uh so yeah uh, i love 
one thing we haven't, I don't know if we've really seen any of these movies, is a basement. Yeah. This is an interesting no... version of a finished, unfinished basement. I've never yeah. seen a basement that you go through the unfinished part to get to a finished part. Yeah. I For me, it felt like a very familiar basement and really? how it is kind of like that half. Wait, so you sleep here, but you walk through this area to get to that? Like, uh, I've never I mean, quite seen that. I love uh, basements, and I wish every movie had a basement I wish scene. every house did. I'm so jealous that you have a California house with a basement. Yeah. That's so uh, rare. I mean, that means occasionally I see a little critter with me, and it's uh, alarming. But uh, I see that without a basement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, when I – growing up in – Iowa, they were little refuges uh, uh, or a little place for teenagers to go and have their own little spot. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm sure that's true all over, but obviously. But in the summertime, it was great because when it air conditioned, the coldest spot in a house is a basement. Mm. Um, so to walk with a group of friends to get something and then walk back to a house and just go immediately down into a basement and eat the snacks you bought mm-hmm. in a very air conditioned... Put on a, a movie or something. Yes. Yeah. It was heaven. Good. Yeah. Play a video game. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound good. Um, now, when she sets the alarm to wake up to breastfeed, um, I did think it was like the the sharp stick or whatever for this movie was like that crosses a line clearly, but also that it's happening in such a beautiful child. This like all white yeah. wicker rocking chair. Is it William Sonoma? What's well, like a catalog that yeah. has that like look? Yeah. It was almost like, how dare she go into this beautiful catalog and do this awful thing too. Amanda's still breastfeeding. And when that happens, she's just like, Oh no, no, you, you, no, it's abuse. No. Yeah. It's also like, um, it does seem like a biological, like rewiring and have the baby's like circuitry start rejecting the natural mother's milk. And then I was doing the math before she found the breast pump. I was like, I guess for six months she's been pumpy to keep the milk there. Yeah. That's the only Uh, solution was now I thought that was a body double breast. If it was, they strategically put a mole on her that was also present on Rebecca de Mornay. Because I was wondering that too. Well, it was interesting because they didn't show it at first with the suckling in the close-up. And I thought, oh, they're using a body double. But then a few scenes later, they did have a shot of her holding the baby. And it did look like it could have been a match for the body double. I so then I was like, was maybe her. it was always her. I, mean, I think probably. Um, I mean, her, she was naked in risky business and nude. So it, it like. Um, and she's sort of nude-ish when she's wet in her pajamas later. Right. Um, the like. Um, Brantley, when he wrote the notes for uh, uh, Sleeping with the Enemy. And we didn't get to talk about it at the time, but I thought it was like really astute, which he said uh, when Joseph Rubin was on the set uh, for The Stepfather, his movie before Sleeping with the Enemy, he was wanted to walk off and he said to his agent, you cast me on a slasher movie or you, you, this is just a slasher movie. I can't direct shit like this or whatever. And then Brantley was like, I think this is an example of how these are just classed up versions of slasher movies. Uh Um. Like you could look at, you know, like oh, he 
the director is identifying that this is kind of slasher pulp and he has yeah. to like heighten it. Uh, and Brantley, the thing that I thought was great was he was like, I think this was a, a version of elevated horror. Yeah. We're kind of going through that now, but this seemed to be the thing. And the way I was is like, they even do like TNA shots, like right. slasher movies, right. but they're all used now for like nursing yeah. and uh, OBGYN exams and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk quickly about this title. I think they finally gotten it right. Fatal Attraction works, but the last two titles have been sort of missing the mark. Yeah, this Hannah title Rocks rules. The Cradle. Amazing title, amazing incorporation thematically. It's Julianne so Moore gets to say the yeah. titular line. Yeah. Uh, and I remember that in the trailers. That's how I, what I knew what the title meant was somebody that maybe it was even a voiceover goes, uh, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rocks the world. But it's a poem. I guess it's based on a poem. But uh, uh, for me, it just sounds like a, rockabye baby rock cradle stuff like yeah. that's where my brain it's not even about the poem but the hand that rocks the cradle is such a great yeah yeah um it ain't no the foot that rolls the grave though <laughs> what is <laughs> um when she messes up her um sabotages the dress for the date yeah i was thinking if somebody does a gender swapped mr mom version of the hand that rocks the cradle uh-huh where uh, it's a male, like a, a manny, yeah. <laughs> uh, messing up the husband's life. I was thinking like in that scene, it would be him messing up his pants. And then the dad has to go out wearing like Zuba pants. <laughs> <laughs> these like tacky early 90s pants. He's like, I got these as a joke mainly. <laughs> Peyton's making me wear these now. Um, the... Uh, Ooh, this is a bit of a trope. I don't know. The sophisticated grown-up double date scene where the couple yes. just love each other. Yeah. When they're out there, it's like, how much did you sell that house for? Oh, hey, you only yeah. smoke when you're around her. Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. It's in Fatal Attraction. It's, it wasn't in the other two. No, think. Pacific Heist, they're such fucking losers. Who they have no friends yeah. to have double dates God. with. And then, yeah, I wouldn't want to trust whoever's friends with Mustache Pete. I know. Mustache OP. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I laughed uh, when Peyton went and bullied that kid. I know that was I. I couldn't tell whose side I was on. I know, you know. I I think you're supposed to think she's crossing a line, but it was like, hey, yeah, uh, that's. Uh, I did think that when, when she was walking away, and the kids, I was like, maybe this kid could ride this out, and it won't f him up. But once she started walking away, the kids started laughing at him. I was like, I oh, he's a serial killer. Yeah, and he walks away around the building by himself with his head down. Because I've started it's having... Ow. I started having real sympathy for childhood bullies because they clearly are just bullied themselves. I don't have a lot of sympathy for adult bullies because you should know better by then. But yeah, I think actually kid bullies are the saddest of them all. Yeah, both. The yeah. adult bully thing, though, that's the ripcord I have to keep pulling over and over. Is just being like, we don't have to talk about the big one. <laughs> but with him, I do think like, oh, Jesus, that guy so got fucked up yeah. by his dad. Yeah, clearly. I mean, it's, uh, it's and now abuse. we're all we're all the victims of that fucking yeah. dude's bad parenting. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I feel the same way about Biden. Uh, the uh, 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 yuppie greenhouse. Yeah. Oh, she does have a job. She works at a. No, she doesn't. No, work I at think a she's just the hobbyist. Yeah. gardener. I mean, she's very serious about it. But. Um. But the um, that's another thing Amanda says. Like, wait, she's a nanny just so she can garden. We don't have a nanny because we we have this situation where Glenn can't handle it. But we have you Amanda's, wouldn't be going out and green thumbing it up. It would be just so we can work if yeah. we did. You know, yeah. we could barely both. We can't work at the same time. You know, but yeah, to yeah. have a nanny to garden. Man. I mean, if somebody gave me a greenhouse and I had a big backyard, I'd be all for that. And someone gave me a nanny. Not not Peyton. I I have post retired fantasies of gardening big time. I've took taken to it a little bit since the oh, pandemic. Nice. And I love it. I don't garden. I shouldn't say I garden, mm-hmm. but I maintain land uh, yeah. landscape. Yeah. yeah, and I I trim hedges and I water plants and it's very relaxing. I prune. I've planted a couple things. I planted those baby tears out there, but it's I not think their time. Really it's not the time work. of years for me to show you because they're. It's you oh know, wait over there. The, well, the little like green moss on the ground here. Oh yeah, but right now it's not. It's not the time of year. When you it's got down be there doing and well. you put that in. Yeah, but nice. that that's just you're just laying trays of it down, you know, and cutting around the rocks. But it, hey, I love don't, doing don't put it. it down. I love it. I love it. You're making God's green earth even greener. Yeah. Uh. So when um. In the uh, um, oh the the FedEx sign is later when she oh, yeah. messes up the letter thing. Uh, and like, what makes her uh, uh, Peyton a really bad person is that like she loves like watching. I know her like freak out about it, but That's she watches the... it like, what's gonna happen? Like <laughs> oh. almost like she didn't do it. Dinner and do that. <laughs> I'm a widow stinker. Um, I've been sick. But it makes it even worse that the husband isn't a dick about it. I know. Like, I know. I'm just going to get back to work. Yeah. I understand. Even too, when she thinks he's having an affair, he's just very forgiving about it. Oh, I mean, that awkward surprise party. Oh, that moment. That's up there for best thrill for me. Sorry, no, from my uh, no. Mic. I was cleaning my glasses. That was up there for best drill for me too because it got me. Surprise yeah. parties don't usually get you. No, in a movie. You because you kinda... also, I also wanted him to go. The reason you expect you suspect me of having an affair is because I was with what's her face planning your party the other night. And he can't. Say it. I mean, it's such. But what's amazing? As soon as she said, "I'm thinking about doing. Maybe you should do a surprise party for her in this." Dumbass husband falls for it, thinking that's a good idea. Let's just do a little news flash for anybody listening. Nobody likes surprises. It was funny. Like when I saw that happening, I thought this dude is too old to not know. For a woman's birthday, she doesn't want to go the day thinking people don't aren't acknowledging oh, the yeah. birthday. Yeah. And then to get this sort of like, whoa, you caught me off guard to let me know you love me. Yeah. I once did a surprise, not with Leslie, a previous love, a previous girlfriend, uh, did a surprise trip visit 
And that's when I learned you don't do oh. surprises. Oh, wow. It may seem romantic, but it's romantic for the person doing the surprise. The person, yeah. for them, they're like, ah, oh, Jesus. What? <laughs> what? Anyway, when I saw that, I thought I made it a gender thing where I was like, my man doesn't know the ladies don't like surprises. But then I thought, fellas don't like them either. That gets so in the stick in the ribs for a guy of like no i've lost all control Uh, i've lost the sense of what is real and not and oh you worked to effectively deceive me wow like surprise parties are low on the list for me my man i'm okay with them but i i think you're right about if it was done to me sure well you have to do it the day before the birthday or the night before because you're right if if nobody's reaching out during a birthday that ruins three quarters of the day and not necessarily saved by the surprise. Yeah. You retroactively. And she used it in this movie. She used it as a way to tear them apart and then also have this kind of ugly thing happen at the party. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise parties are, (laughs) I mean, I have to imagine, you know, like I said last week, my wife and I are both tidy people. Yeah. So we can live together in harmony. I have to imagine there's a couple, both people like surprises. And so to do that for each other, they go and make out after it happens. I don't know. <laughs> have you ever, I'm sorry if you've ever. Uh, I've uh, had a surprise party. You've never puppeteered a no, surprise No, because party. Amanda, I think, has made it clear that she doesn't want one. I would if she wanted one, but uh, yeah. yeah. I, I have sometimes doubted whether she's means it. And then I feel bad if I'm somehow not reading the right sign. But as far as I can tell, she seems to not want one. Well, when she says, I hate surprises, does she wink, wink, wink? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and say surprises? She always says that and she's dressed to the nines going, what's around this corner? <laughs> I sure love all my friends and a loud shout. <laughs> um, my favorite surprise party is in Tootsie. Why does it again? It's just like the opening mixer. Oh, scene, yeah. I guess. Oh, uh, that's right. Um, now, uh, uh, the movie reaches perfect movie manipulation, like Twisty Knife in this thing that you're talking The series of, we can't just see Solomon get fucked over. He has to have the most touching scene between him and the little girl right before yeah. he... Uh, uh, she says, don't F with me, R. Yeah. And then, uh, so those are all manipulations that are just like good manip, like movies yeah. just doing, doing everything it can to get you like twisted up. And then they give up a surprise bike as a gift. I they were know. just doing everything. I mean, this is the most torturous thing I to have know. to watch. Brutal. And <laughs> they give him the bike even after his supposed transgression. Right, because he loads you into the van. You're thinking that um, she went and told something nasty about him, and now Matt McCoy is going to lay the smackdown on him about like, hey, you can't be around here because she made this thing up or something. Yeah. But I mean, and also then, obviously, the like accusation that she makes that is like checks all boxes, oh. all levels of awfulness. Yeah, this is where it got dark for me, where it was kind of like, am I enjoying this? And it pulled out pretty quickly, so. I did think these are queasy topics that they're dabbling in with this movie. Yeah. And because the previous 45 minutes has been tasteful, 
I'm going to roll with this. But it was, I was like, there, this is getting, I mean, maybe that's what a, well, it wasn't adult thriller is mean, supposed it, to do is kind of, it's, it, it is dark, but I hesitate to call it untasteful because they're just telling the story and it's, she's doing it. He, this never happened. Right. Solomon didn't do it. He's being framed, but just the subject matter is so dark. Plus the sexual assault up front and the miscarriage. And yeah, it just, there's a lot in the first half of this movie before you get to the kind of thrill ride that is, is it heavier than most but the conversation, get. but also not, but, and then the conversation between her and De Mornay about like how they, how someone feels after having a, a baby, like, the movie is just a little like you know we were talking about with Fatal Attraction. Like what's partly awesome about these movies is kind of like the taboo isn't necessarily like oh when I go out into the woods and go to a summer camp I shouldn't be killed. Like the taboos are so deep where it's like yeah. no married couple wants to talk about adultery. Yeah, no couple with a. Um, when I say no, I'm just a very general, yeah. like, yeah. um, whatever, like the, for me, the stick that I think it was poking out was kind of like, what if your role as a parent was being, I'm gonna say the obvious thing of like, your kid thinks you can't protect them, and, oh. but the nanny can, yeah. is nightmare that's oh, like it's the worst <laughs> this movie handles it pretty well you know it's it, just because it was dark subject matter isn't to say that the movie does a pretty good job with it i would say that it was borderline sometimes but you know we've watched plenty of movies where they're handling dark serious mature content in a really poor like the zombie movies yes they're just so they're so cartoonizing and comic bookizing like real assault and rape and it just feels so selfish and indulgent where this at least felt like it was part of a story yeah you know i i i, mean, I, I think it, that's what yeah it, it feels it, like it's more about adding dimension yeah. to something rather than exploiting it to get you to yeah and then part of it is it's 30 years old too you yeah know? so i remember watching movies like this and people just weren't as seemingly like the culture wasn't as triggered by these things, even though I'm sure people individually were. Yeah. Something that I saw that I was like, my 2022 eyes didn't like, this is so funny. Cause it goes, I'm not even realizing it was like, remember how in fatal attraction, I didn't like how he licked her nipple. Yeah. I was like having a child actor put its mouth on a breast that is in its mother is in its own way kind of yeah. an abuse that I don't like a movie doing. It's a real nipple thing with you and surprise parties. <laughs> it's funny the um, the surprise party of what kind of surprise of breastfeeding breast is colic. <laughs> and you know, I read this academic or some essay about Temple of Doom about it's it's a movie about the bad taste. And the bad taste is this primal thing that babies have with colic, which is like, what if my mother gave me bad milk? Now, I didn't have colic. But like, if you watch Temple of Doom with that eyes, there's so many bad taste. The bad, not bad taste is in the blood. That's what makes him voodoo. He has to spit it out. And like, 
uh, uh, the poison at the beginning of the movie. He's drinking it. They're trying to get an antidote. Like each act is centered around bad, the bad taste. She doesn't want to eat the food at the village. She doesn't want to eat the food at the, the palace. Do you think that that was? I have a hard time seeing that as intentional from the screen. Well, writers. what I was reading it, it was in this like Freudian look at Spielberg movies oh. and the idea of the mother child relationship in his movies. And they were saying that this, because this is a scary movie, the thing that he makes it to be scary is getting at human beings, fundamental. This is, I don't like this taste in my mouth. Oh, interesting. And if that's the ancient thing of just like people don't like having something gross to taste, well, the ancient, ancient version of that is bad breast milk. Oh, wow. uh, but so in this, I do think like whatever with the Rebecca de Mornay thing, I was just kind of like, it must cross some line in my mind of like, yeah, when somebody's body ends and another one begins. Well, for sure. Like, I'm yeah, with yeah, you yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. But this, it was tough to watch that because you just, especially we're in the thick of that right now in this household, you know, and just to have it be so, wow, this is happening there and what could happen here right now, you know? Yeah. I mean, but what's beautiful about this movie is that couple loves each other from beginning yeah. to end. And, uh, you know, they might have some bumps along the way, but it never is sh- sh- uh, shaken. It's so nice to see. Yeah. It's so nice in a movie like this to have a little bit of that. Oh, even when the little girl at the end, my heart was leaping for joy when she took her little oh, brother and yes. protected him and then did, did the oh. baby monitor trick. And it was basically like, nobody messes with this family. Yeah. Like a whole family yeah. coming together to like take out the bad daddy. Yeah. Uh, that's almost then where all this kind of queasiness in the middle of the movie is sort of like, like if I wanted her to get her comeuppance, this is, you know, like, I was thinking about how um, the idea of the villain getting their comeuppance, like in Fatal Attraction, it so wasn't on their mind. They didn't even shoot it originally for her, uh, for the for the villain yeah. to really like. Michael Douglas goes to jail. Remember that original yeah. ending? Yeah. Like the idea of like I'm gonna turn the tables on this person and get them. Pacific Heights, the last 20 minutes of that movie was Melanie Griffith becomes the table turner. Uh-huh. And this movie, there's 20 minutes left when they know who she is and now they're going to come together. Like, it, the thing I was going to say was if these are like the versions of slashers, you know how in latter day franchises it becomes. Well, we're not rooting for the victims to survive. Yeah. We like the killer and we want the victims to die. It's the opposite with these. It's like they're fucking with our lively, yuppie livelihoods. These people don't get away scot-free. Yeah. They have to, like, in the last 20 minutes, get the tables turned on them and fall, like, on a picket fence and die. The like, symbolism of them falling on a picket, picket fence. fence. Of oh, all things, also God. one that Solomon built. Like, the sweet, gentle... Right. And is it for keeping people in or out? No. It's, it's to kill. kill. It's to kill. <sighs> um... Anyway, uh, 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 did you notice that they ADR'd cart with the, un- she's like, before she goes and finds the underwear, she goes, yeah, I think it's in his, and I think she probably said Shaq, mm. but it's like 
cart and cart isn't in her mouth. No, I did notice a lot of ADR in this movie though. Yeah. So in that part, and so I wonder if it was confusing that she said shack and I was like, well, why did she go right to the cart instead of the shack or it's in his garage or something. But I did the thing too with, I thought he was going to get locked in that shack and it was going to start on fire like the bad seed. I yeah. just totally took the I bad know. seed and put put on that movie, but yeah, it's the opposite. They're using it against us, I guess, at yeah. the end that he's the hero. Right. Um, but uh, uh, do you think Peyton was telling the truth about her mom and her dad and stuff? Or is that all kind of like a way to make her seem sympathetic? I think so, because... I hesitate to say that she wasn't lying about anything else. I mean, obviously she was, she was playing a cover, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of, of the Alex question of like her dad died of a heart attack. Yes. Right. But she had a complicated relationship with like, I, I mean, it does go some distance to let us know why she's kind of messed up in the first place, you know? And also why nobody's maybe uh, coming into her life being like, where are you right now? Yeah. What are you doing? Like, she, they make it clear, like, she's almost a person with no fam, like, yeah. this kind of lonely right. spirit. Um, the uh, When they got in the attic and the two of them were talking, that's when I started thinking the wife should start suspecting Peyton. There was something like... Is it when they're sitting close and she, Rebecca DeMorne is kind of putting her hands on her? Uh-huh. I almost thought that was going to turn sexual... Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, if you're not getting like Pacific the vibes, Heights, yeah. what we wanted that to be. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, if you're the mom and not getting a weird energy vibe at that point, and maybe that's like right why you want her to because you so are on board with this character as a mother. You're kind of like, I know you're smarter. You should be getting yeah. what like. Although I mean, she is the first to get the vibe, even before the husband. That's true, and then the vibe is getting confused because she's thinking her husband's having an affair. Yeah. When she goes to the um auditorium, it's called Auditorium Cleaners. Oh. And I saw the list of all the things they clean. Yeah. It's all cozy stuff, my friend. <laughs> blankets, Quilts sweaters, and blankets. Uh, but when bags. he goes in there and um has to be like, "Oh, I think your husband's having an affair on you." I was like thinking of people at Dry cleaners. Do you think that happens like five times a day? I know. <laughs> just like, oh, not necessarily the adultery thing, but just an awkward yes, thing that I'm I pulled sure. out of your pocket. I'm sure. Yeah. <sighs> I guess there's a comfort in knowing that like, uh, you're not a weirdo. Your like, therapist and your dry cleaner know everything <laughs> about you. <laughs> uh, okay. I wrote this down, Matt. Awkward surprise party was the best thrill. When I saw it. So we'll see if that changes. But yeah. when I saw it, that beat her tearing up the letter. Yeah. Between uh, that and the first time, <gasps> like when you know Rebecca DeMornay is evil and she's back in the house, when she she's going up the stairs, not Rebecca DeMornay, Annabella Shior, mm. and she just comes around the corner. It's yeah. a jump, jump scare. Yeah. Pretty good. But I, I think I got more chills from the surprise party. That's my best thrill. Yeah. Because it got me. Really? Uh, I didn't know that was going to happen. And um, having it be about the Julian Moore piece, it just makes it like that he yeah. was, she suspects that his husband's back with his old love. The thing just uh, with Julianne Moore, uh, I think she's obviously a 
an amazing actress. But have you noticed she does this thing? Where she could, yeah, her teeth stay teeth. closed, but her mouth moves. She's like the doing teeth. the character from Big Lebowski, you know, like Thara. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, let's see about this. But I remember my friend Marty pointing out to me we went and saw the Psycho remake in 1998. Uh-huh. And we were sitting there watching in the theater in Sioux City, Iowa. And he goes, She never opens her teeth. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> then after that, I was like, Oh, yeah, she never opens her teeth. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think the social publicity tour that this couple had to go on after this? Like all the people that were at that surprise party, they had to eventually go, let us tell you what happened. And then go back to, um, what's the company that Solomon works for too? Because they mess up the t- name of it in the movie as well. But Oh, oh yeah. Like he, she has to go back to his coworkers and be like, here's what happened. Exonerate him. Yeah. Yeah. I did think like this, this is one of those things where, um, the damage she's done, even if there, she gets defeated and there's exoneration, she's effed up this family. Oh, for sure. But I still would watch a sequel that is just the two of them going to their friends and telling them the story and going like, it was this, it was this. And the friends go, wow. <gasps> oh my God. Because yeah, we thought. And then the friends go, because yeah, the way like your bathroom was always smelling. And they're like, that had nothing to do. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, 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 yeah. no, no, uh, no, no, uh, no, no. We were uh, saying, uh, we, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, and I guess you don't really get to see their parents and stuff. That's no, sometimes- and nor do you get to see. This is another one of those movies that just ends so abruptly because I kind of wanted them to come back and get one little coda where the family's happy again, even though presumably the father would have been in two full leg casts. Yeah. I mean, it definitely didn't do the fatal attraction framed photo of the family and now everything's like restored. It did seem like, but it's so unfair because that's the one dad who probably should get the victory lap. I didn't of want a terror train ending. I wanted a yeah. full... I mean, I respected the movie that I was like, they're not, it's already getting a little corny with like, you can hold the baby Solomon. But I did think like, thank goodness it's not, they're, they're not doing the full, the dad comes up and, but I did want that. I did too. Um, The, uh, using the baby monitor, uh, as a device was such a perfect like time and space and the oh, moment yes. all meets together to yeah. have this plot point happen where she can listen in on because eavesdropping things can be the most deadliest thing oh, yeah. with a movie but I bought this I loved it and yeah. then I also loved it because now she's finally getting wise she's yes. saying like I think something's up with her yeah um, and then because um, before that it was always air vents and ducks I was just watching I Love Lucy this morning and Fred was listening through the furnace duct and he was covered in soot. <laughs> and then he tried to crawl through it to escape out of it. And an alien, a xenomorph was in there. Uh, but like, uh, uh, after that happens though, they, you start getting behind the eight ball in a really cool way. Like you don't know why she's setting up the greenhouse thing. Yeah. And uh, you don't know, like, it's just a cool thing that like now, just because the wife shared it with the husband doesn't mean now the audience you lose any access to what Rebecca DeBornay is doing. Like that's yeah. the cost of it. It's like, fuck yeah. no, I don't know what she's up to. Yeah. Um, but I loved when she's uh, slicing an apple. You're like thinking cut, cut, oh, cut, yeah. cut. And then the greenhouse stuff comes 
And then when she's getting all sliced up, she eats a chunk of apple off a knife. I know. That was very cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the um, I thought there was a lot of good fake baby work in this movie. Yeah. At the very end in the attic, the key moment when she hands over the baby, I saw a big fake baby yeah, eye man, just kind of float there. Too, yeah. yeah. Uh, but up until then, like even in movies, like I'm sure you noticed after you had your baby. Movies play so fast and loose with how a baby can sleep, yeah, and how it can be calmed down, yeah. And uh, with this movie, there wasn't too many times where I was like, "Wait, what's going on with this baby?" Yeah, it's just sleeping now. Yeah. Um. But then, the last, uh, yeah, twenty minutes is Claire getting to kick some butt, like. Her just walking in and punching her and saying, this is the wife of that doctor. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Cut to the chase. I love it. <laughs> I know. I was happy about that too. Instead of having this kind of like ongoing. How'd you um, figure that out, honey? Yeah. How do you think? Wind chimes. <laughs> it's always wind chimes. And I would be so pissed off if I got out of the hospital and there's that ugly turtle wallpaper. Oh God. A horrible. That How'd you figure that out, honey? Wind chimes. That's what those are. <laughs> I hate those. Um, I did like the line when she says, okay, I'll just go get my baby. I mean, my things. Yeah. Uh, and then, case in point of these are the slashers, this movie just ends Halloween style, where somebody's walking around in a suburban house. Yeah. It's dark. I will say, I prefer 1978. Where the house is a little darker. Yeah, I was this thinking that too. This movie had some well lit early nineties. Yeah. Uh, I agree. If this was a little moodier, and boy. I didn't, um, the uh, the whole like her getting the shovel and cracking open the doorknob, like all that stuff was really amazing. And having it kind of be a slow burn with her paid off yeah. by this point. Like yeah. she's not just camp right um and uh the um i was only uh kind of building it up saying how great it was just to make one complete her asthma at the end when she was like faking it was like a weird the sound didn't match her she was just kind of like still going yeah. But this sounds like, hee, oh, Yeah, that was hee. some of that dodgy ADR. Yeah. It was weird. It was most effective when she was out on the porch after Rebecca Dornay, De Mornay had taken her inhalers and that. Oh, oh man. God. When it had that close up oh. of her going, <gasps> and just staying on that shot for so long. And that's when I was like, uh, again, it was just another example of like, what's keeping this from being shit? It's yeah. just like, a direct I mean you watch so many movies you're just like well that moment passed and I didn't really felt it I know that it just had yeah. to happen so you knew story wise she had to go in the hospital but taking the time just to, like Oof. watch somebody lose their brother you're like oh now they're in a, a coma or something yeah. yeah and then also that there's no double death fake in this movie too yeah could have gone down to check on her and she's back up you know yeah at the end and it is on the nose but i liked her landing on the pick and i did too for me too oh, yeah it's yeah. fine yeah and she was truly dead yeah it was either that or the birdhouse <laughs> <laughs> well uh so we've established best kill or best Thrill. Thrill. We're agreed. It's the surprise party. Yep, yep. Let's rate this puppy. We've got 13 for Fatal Attraction. 
eight double eights for Pacific Heights. Uh, you gave Sleeping with the Enemy a nine. I gave it a nine point five. What are you giving? Hand that rocks the crade. I'm gonna go for eleven and a half. Wow! Yeah, nice and high. Uh, ooh, I'm gonna go. Mm, ah, ooh, I'll go eleven. All Boy, right. we're pretty tight. Yeah, uh, we're yeah. pretty agreed on these. I wonder if it's partly with um, thrillers, like it's like a, a, a the proof is in the pudding. You either got invested or not. Yeah, and it's also I think just don't fuck with a thriller if just play yeah, the beats, deliver. But do them well. Yeah. But don't, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. That's the thing with genre. You sh- it's really rare to do a genre bender successfully. Sometimes it's best to just color within the lines, but just color beautifully. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The best is when, if it ever is futzed with, it's because it was trying to trick me yeah that that it set up an expectation because it knows i've seen such and such other movies that's a a good bucking but that brings us to another sort of auteur in a genre movie and that's david gordon green who did these new halloween movies which i liked the first one i think you were a little more lukewarm Mm -hmm. i really did not like the second one i liked it more yeah and now we're gonna see where we are i know you know it's funny it's the opposite of where we've been on these yuppie thrillers yeah uh I I was thinking like I wonder how this is gonna uh, Halloween ends, but uh, yeah, like what will my feelings be about it? Normally, I think I would revisit these before, but I do not need to see that second one again. I'm with you. I like the opening and the flashbacks of the mm-hmm. second one. It mm-hmm. starts strong, but I still like the first one, and I know it well enough, and I remember the second one well enough that yeah, I, I don't I'm, need. To I probably refresh. won't rewatch the ones either. Uh, I'll do that when they're all. Out, I'll probably sit down and be able to then, oh, that was like that or something. Yeah. So listeners on Patreon, you will get that mini episode of us with our first reactions on that. And then we're back to this series in two weeks. And then down, I think we're going to do a deeper dive on Halloween ends instead of the commentary for November. That's the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, Head over to patreon.com slash with Whirly and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Whirly, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.